0: Hi everyone, welcome to Office Hours. Great to have you here. If you've come here via YouTube and want to know more about what we do, it's incredibly simple. Just sneak over to officehours.global on the web. That's our primary web portal for more information and links about the show. Also, you can use the new system, relatively new. It's a QR code and it's sitting over here in the corner. At least it'll be here in just a second. And if you shoot that with your phone or anything else that uh, reads QR codes, that'll take you directly into the system for putting your questions in. If you're new around here, uh, questions drive this entire show, particularly on days like today, because our second hour today is going to be all questions. We had a little schedule change here at the end, so you've got lots of room. If there's anything you're interested in having to do with production or equipment or... internet protocols or things like that, this is the place to come to. We have a great panel full of technological experts here who can help you answer almost any questions. They've been doing it for three years plus, and we very seldom get stumped. It happens occasionally, but not too often. So that is our second hour today, another hour of general questions. So there's plenty of room for your questions. We encourage you to use that QR code system or to go into the mukana interface and pump in your questions and vote for them, please. Because as always, the questions with The most votes get moved up to the top of the list, and we get to them first. So that's the rules of the show. We're ready to dive in, Mitch. What is our first question for today?
1: Thank you, Bill. Our first question comes to us from Talalik Lopez Waterman in uh, Tallahassee, Florida. I watched Killers of the Flower Moon at a Regal Cinema. The color of it was very unpleasing. How are movie theaters' digital projectors calibrated, and is there a standard for this? I'm interested in streaming the film when it's available to compare. You're lucky because Alex
0: knows a good little bit about cinema projection. Alex,
2: yeah, I mean, I think that the the when you look at digital projection, uh, a lot of times theaters at different at different it depends on the size of the theater and where it is, but a lot of times they're running their lamps a little low. Um, That makes it they save five hundred bucks every six months by doing that, (laughs) so they're they're shaving off a little bit. So sometimes it's not as bright as it should be. Oftentimes it's half of what it should be uh, in smaller theaters. Um, I would. Now I will admit, I've probably not seen a movie in 10 years that wasn't at uh, IMAX or Dolby Cinema. So those are the two that I go to see stuff in. um, And I don't, I can't remember a time when I've been to a smaller theater in quite some time. Maybe, I think maybe I saw one in Washington, DC, but especially if you're in a smaller movie theater, um, uh, you know, that's a little bit more out there, you may find that there, that's where the managers are. Cutting corners to keep those bulbs going. Um, so, so that's the uh, that that's the thing that we've we've seen in the in the past, Courtney. And I may remind you
3: that Regal Theaters is in, in Chapter Eleven bankruptcy reorganization, and they also right before they went into bankruptcy, they purchased uh, access or leased a lot of the old ArcLight theaters, which were well equipped. But the problem is they haven't upgraded a lot of them. A lot of them, they've been moving a lot of equipment around as they've closed down a number of theaters and and gutted the equipment. So, you know, it's a bit of a uh, roll of the dice, let's say, to... you know what what the theater you're going to see a, a film in and what projector is in that particular theater because uh you know there can be three different types of projectors in each screen of the you know a, a multiplex so and i doubt that they've had anyone in to calibrate them uh lately uh, although there are uh dci uh which is a, the package that the film is delivered in digitally uh p3 calibration files that they can do and they can put up and a qualified projectionist <clears throat> can come in and align the projector to the color space etc cetera, etc cetera. but like Alex said a lot of times they run the lamps at a lower speed to save money because you know they got to pop that popcorn and make all their money
0: absolutely uh Mitch you have a comment
1: is uh Christie still the Cadillac of projectors and are they laser not bulbs
0: yeah, that
2: That's why I raised my hand. Is I, I want to correct myself a little bit. Is that they, running them low still saves money? <laughs> so, so they so they still may not be at the same brightness, but they do not have bulbs. That's for film. And I was I was mis saying it, but they are still running them oftentimes a little bit lower. And and uh, Christie is one of the um, major ones. There's uh, there's a couple different players in that market. Marco um, didn't they buy Christie? Yeah, Barco. Uh, I think Barco bought Christie, and I think that they, they're both the same company now. But Barco and Christie are pretty much all of them. Like that's all the theaters there. Even so, even um. Well, anyway, I can't say that. Anyway, so so anyway, so the uh, but but uh, um, uh, the the yeah, they're 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 all Barco or Christie at this point, um, and uh, and they, the theaters are using you know, the low-end version of what Christie's capable of. You know, Christie and, and Barco, they, you know, Christie has, you know, 4K, 120, even 8K projectors, and they use get used in corporate, they get used in other things. The theaters haven't made that investment to move back up again because the theaters are, you know, really not in a great space, you know. So, you know, theater going, of course, had a hard hit in, during covid and then in addition to that, you know, the the behavior has changed a lot. Now, while you're seeing some prices, I mean, you're seeing revenue still going up for movies. A lot of that has to do with the fact that they're charging more per ticket. And so, um, so those are things that are, that are a little bit more complicated to, to manage for the theaters. Um, and most of the money goes back to the, for the first six weeks, most of the money goes back to the, um, to the film, to the, to the uh, distribution. So the, the theaters really depend on your popcorn. <laughs> like they they don't make money on your ticket, they make money on your popcorn. And that's a real, it's a hard, hard life. And so I think that we want to be kind of I mean, at the state, we can complain about theaters, but it's, it's a really hard business to, and I'm surprised that as many theaters are in business that there are, because it's a really, it's a really tight business right now. Um, and uh, again, but I would recommend looking for IMAX and digital cinema, uh, Dolby cinemas, the problem with Dolby cinemas is, I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, this is going to ruin your experience, but there's these blue lights that go down the, st- the steps that go on Dolby cinemas that I can't stop seeing. <laughs> so I, can't, I haven't gone to those for a couple of years now. But um, but the uh, but for a long time before that happened, I think it happened during COVID. They turned the lights up, and they and I know that there's some safety thing, but I don't see them as much in other theaters. I just see them in Dolby theaters.
0: And. COVID really hit movie theaters hard for, gosh, a whole year practically. They just had nobody in the seats at all. Yeah, and that's very, very difficult to sustain a business when you've got rent, particularly a lot of theaters and malls, and malls are not known for having small real estate costs. So, uh, Courtney, you had a follow-up? Yeah, and if you really want to see it cool,
3: uh, come to Culver City to Amazon's uh, theaters oh, <laughs> and see it on the the big Onyx screens from Samsung that are LED screens with super high
2: pitch cool. and
3: ultra bright. It'll burn your retinas out. Court,
2: Courtney and I saw it went went with a couple of other folks. We all when we all watched it there and uh, with Carmi and Courtney and, a, and and you know, 300 of our favorite friends, and wow. Those screens are amazing. If you're in L.A. in Culver City, are those, do they play to the public? Were those open, are those open to the public Yeah, I think there's three of them that are open to the public uh, on a daily basis. They are amazing. Whatever is top of the, top of the bops, you know. Yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing screens. Cool. Let's go to the next question.
1: And it's from Guy Cochran in Seattle. Um, how does the 1-inch sensor on the new DJI Osmo Pocket 3 compare with that of other existing cameras on the market?
0: Everybody's doing a lot of talking about this new unit. Jeffrey, what are your thoughts?
4: Well, I, I can't wait to get my hands on the uh, Pocket 3. I'm a big fan of the Pocket series. I have the first one and the second one. Uh, I also have the Insta360 RS 1-inch sensor, which I used at not only uh, CES, but also, uh, also NAB and, and uh, Infocom, other events like that. And and the one thing, it, it was just amazing how I, I didn't need to ha- actually bring in a whole bunch of lighting. For what I needed to shoot, and uh, I really liked that functionality to it. The only problem that I see is that uh, it, with the uh, with the Insta 360, it did get hot, and there were to- there were a couple times if I used it for a long period of time, it would start to overheat. I w- I don't, I'm not sure how DJI is working with that because you know I would guess that this is going to be something that people are wanted have at least 30 minutes to 45 minutes worth of shooting time for their uh, for their shot. But I'm hoping to get one before CES this year, so I can uh, shoot all my videos with it.
2: Alex, yeah, I I, I watched a couple of videos, particularly uh, Potato Jet's um, uh, uh, video on it, and I think it left me a little less interested <laughs> than the, in it. I was, I think, I was excited. I started watching these, and I and I started looking at it, and I said. You know, like I looked at the quality of it, and I was like, I just don't think it looks that much better than an iPhone, and I feel like I'd rather just have an Osmo, and I know it's smaller, and it fits in, but I'm going to carry my phone anyway, and I I didn't feel like for the money that it was charging, I, I wasn't totally sure. Now, what I'm interested in, though, I have to say, is thinking about it as a webcam, so as a as a webcam that I can control. So one of the things I'm doing research on before I decide to pull pull the trigger on it is can what kind of API or what kind of remote control can we have to it because the holy grail for us is being able to have a PTZ and we've been we've been hammering uh Insta360 for their link for for this and OBSBot uh, has one um uh, the uh but we you know so but we're really what we're really interested in is that one inch sensor or larger with a PTZ head that we can control remotely so that we can make fine adjustments if we send out a kit and so as a kit camera I find it to be pretty interesting um it feels like they're also continuing to move this up. My guess is that the next one will be Super 35 <laughs> like at $700. Like if you look at the trajectory, in a year or two, we're going to see a Super 35 version of this, of this camera, and then we're really getting into some real uh, things. But I, I, again, as, as I saw the footage on P- Potato Jet, I was kind of like, man, I don't, I, don't know if I don't know if it's worth the $600 or $550 uh, to, to get it when, when I could get an Osmo and get most of the same shots.
0: Courtney, your thoughts? Yeah, I
3: looked at it, but the, a couple of things that, that set me off, too, is the fact that uh, they still don't have uh, on the, I don't think on the unit itself, it has a quarter-inch uh, anchor. It, you uh, you have to add the little thing on the bottom, a little, oh, you yeah. have to add an extra piece to get a, a tripod mount onto it, which is, you know, stupid, and it's 660 bucks for the the. Combo package that gives you the tripod adapter and the, and and I don't know, Jeffrey. Did you read? It says wireless mic receiver. Did they build a uh, two point four gigahertz wi- uh, mic receiver in there for their DJI wireless mics? Two, no.
4: Two. They have a uh, they have a creators kit. So with the yeah, creators that's, kit, that's, you get the it's a thing uh, that, that goes extra, and
3: punches yeah. on the bottom, and connects yeah. to yeah. the. Uh, Are you sure?
2: Because I, I looked at it. It looked like they might have built the receivers into it. Two of them.
4: I'll, I'll have to double it. check. Take, take a look. I when I looked at I the,
2: if you look at the end of the video for Potato Jet again, um, you'll see. I think. I think. I don't think he had anything extra on it, and he was able to get that mic in there. So I think that there's a there's a dual mic. Um, receiver built into the into the camera. So I'm, I'm looking at
4: I'm looking at the main page and it, well, like I said, it, it's it's all new. So uh, I, I have mm. to. And of course, if it connects up as a webcam, it, it might uh, have that there. But whenever I used my uh, my pockets, I usually got the I, well, I did buy the actual selfie stick attachment because it's got a joy, uh, joystick in it. I can extend it up a little bit, and it gives me a little bit more freedom to play rather than holding that thing like this. I can hold it down, and then the, the, uh, the unit's right here. So it, and, and, of course, your hand doesn't get in any, any of the shots when you have it that way.
3: But I, the, I worry about the rotating screen. It has a little screen so that you can do you know, portrait the wrong way or uh, landscape the right way, um, and I worry about it automatically flipping <laughs> back and forth how many times it's going to be able to do that uh, mm. and uh, still maintain a connection without breaking those little tiny wires inside.
0: All right. Well, everybody's interested in the camera, and I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more about it here on Office Hours as it gets uh, out in the wild and people get experience with it. So let's dive into our next question.
1: Jack Rupel from Breckenridge, Colorado. My question on countdowns elected almost 15 minutes of discussion. Reposting as a technical question, can this be done with an ATEM Mini Pro connected iPhone, mirrorless camera, Mac Studios, Dream Deck, plus an old Mac Pro? And how would you do it?
0: So this, we're not trying for a record here. We talked 15 minutes yeah. <laughs> about the let's question be yesterday. A <laughs> yeah, let's be a little more concise. Yeah. But uh, Alex, tell us about it.
2: Yeah. So what what Jack had asked yesterday is, is is possibly playing movies in the during the countdown clock, and the way you could do that is use your if you took that old MacBook Pro that you have, I don't know, depending on how old it is, but it could be probably pretty old, like six, seven, eight years old, and um, you throw a playback system like QLab or um, or MIDI. Or um, on the air from Softron, any one of those would would be a nice playout system that's gonna that's designed for it. And you can use QuickTime or v- VLC and other things like that, but the ones that are really designed to do this with playlists and so on and so forth are those probably those three on the Mac, and um, you just have its hdmi go out into your uh, atem mini and you should be able to play it out Uh, if you embed the audio into that hdmi you're going to get the audio into it and you can run it right through the atem so that would be probably the easiest way um, to get that video uh, into the into the system
0: always keep your old laptop around i guess unless you're recycling heavyweight Uh, chris fenwick your thoughts
5: Playout B would yeah. be a, a good tool for this I, as well. As soon as I as soon as he said Chris, I was like
2: Playout B, Playout B, <laughs> Playout B would be the, the easiest one. <laughs> Playout B is the easiest one, and it's it's are from our own Jonas Dottel, and uh, and uh, and it runs on the Mac. I keep on thinking I think of the play, play I still think of Playout B as a Raspberry Pi thing. So I, but the um but it is
5: Mac PC and uh, and Raspberry Pi. I, I, and the, I don't know if he wants this necessarily to be public, but he says that uh, the Mac sales are really high. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great play, a little playout system for that.
2: There you go, Courtney.
0: Uh, yeah, I was going to ask
3: if uh, the people in the back end, of when when we do our countdown at the beginning, at the top of the hour, do they. They build in the thirty second or twenty second or whatever that delay is for YouTube buffering uh, for that, so we, that it comes on the actually on the actual time rather than thirty seconds later.
2: We used to, we don't do that anymore. So we, so we, and the reason is because we have a lot of viewers that are watching in the in in Zoom and they're getting it in real time, and so it just didn't make sense for us to do that offset. We used to do that. We used to time it, and um, and I've done I do that a lot with my own live streams when we're streaming to YouTube or any other service. We calculate what the offset is and then apply that offset, um, you know, to it. Um, but it, I will say that there are some challenges with that in the sense that it's usually 20 seconds. And when you try to shift everybody 20 seconds in a production, everybody's confused. <laughs> they're all looking at clocks and they're like, I don't understand what we're doing here. So, so we, we have learned to, uh, uh, you know, we, we do it occasionally, but we don't do it as much as we used to.
0: Yeah, almost all of us here, at least in the back end, and particularly the hosts are keeping an eye on Atomic Clock, which has a circular thing. And I don't know what it would do if I had to hit 20 seconds to the hour consistently instead of the top of the hour, which is just a lot easier. Backstage stuff. Let's go on to the next question.
1: And it's our first QR code question coming from Matt L. in Oakland. Does the panel have any favorite stores and websites to source used gear? Looking for an ATEM 1 or 2ME and new prices are too expensive. Thank you let's start with Alex Alex i don't know of a lot of
2: um, ones other than eBay you know like <laughs> eBay is where you see a lot of these things and and i and i I think that most people are still buying used now there's a lot of options when it comes to used audio um, that I think are better than eBay um, because there's you know um, there is uh what reverb um, and a bunch of other, and a bunch of other ones that that do really work on you're really getting something out of it and even remember that b and h sells used as well as sweetwater um as well as i think uh B, S, W, and Full Compass, like all of those, I think have a used um, division in them. So you, and when you buy them from someone who knows what they're, they're, they have there, a lot of times they're probably refurbished a little bit better or cleaned up a little bit better than what you're going to get from a a seller on, on
1: eBay. Yeah, I've had that experience too. Mitchell? If you can buy from the manufacturer as refurbished, it's going to be as good as anything new. I mean, Apple even has a refurbished uh, uh, site if you go searching for it. And you can save some substantial money. But for the most part, um, I go to B&H because of the trust factor. They're not the cheapest, but they're consistently fair. And uh, if I've ever had any qualms about it, uh, they'll take it right back.
0: Chris
5: Fenwick. Jeffrey sells new stuff once or used stuff once in a while, so pay attention to Jeffrey. He just sold an (laughs) ATAM.
4: I did it once. I got a (laughs) lawnmower for sale. Does anybody want to buy a lawnmower?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is it digital or analog? Anyway, Liberty, save us here.
4: Yeah, I um, site wise, Facebook Marketplace, you just got to make sure that who you're getting it from. I have sold equipment there. Uh, some of my partners have also bought equipment there because typically sometimes there are people who are trying to offload certain things. So just do your due diligence. But Facebook Marketplace being one of them.
0: Yeah, and we might have a talk at some point, or somebody wants to throw a question in about it, about what protections you put in there if you're dealing with a person. Uh, You know, there are some things, most of these transactions go just fine, but I have heard stories of people, you know, somebody shows up with a box of rocks or something. So uh, I think there are a few little things you have to do. Courtney, what are your thoughts on this?
3: Yeah, there. I, I used to say Craigslist because it's, you know, organized by the city that you're in. And if you live in a production-oriented city, Oakland, I don't know, uh, you're on the edge of San Francisco, so you might get some uh, good hits there. But uh, you got to be careful with Craigslist, you know. Uh, meet up with this person to uh, look at it or exchange things uh, in a public place, Uh I don't relish the idea of having strange people from Craigslist show up at my house uh, to show me something or sell me something. So it it can be dangerous. Ever since that Craigslist killer guy came out, I've been a little nervous about buying from (laughs) something where you're meeting up with a total stranger to buy something from them.
4: Uh, That's what Starbucks is for anyway. Jeffrey Powers. That's any city. Uh, don't don't have them come to your home. Uh, and uh, so for me, if you really want to get adventurous, go on eBay and get the and look at the ones for parts. There have been a couple times that, uh, you know, I've Frankensteined, uh, I've never Frankensteined any time, of course, but uh, there have been times that I Frankensteined electronics together and it worked pretty well. And then there's times that I've bought some stuff and they said it wasn't working and then I went and I tested everything, I plugged it in, maybe it was a capacitor that needed to be changed or something like that, and, uh, and then I was, called, I was able to use it for many years.
0: So we are doing well with our questions today, but we always need more. In fact, we have an entire two hours today of Q&A, so that means there's ample room. If you have questions, you want to get them in. Look down there. You will see the QR code. Shoot it with your phone or something like that, and you can put a uh, a question right into the queue where it'll get vetted and taken into the show flow. So, um, And once it's in the show flow, remember everybody who's in the Mukana system can vote on those questions. Vote them up or down as you choose and that will determine what we get to uh, next. But we will have a lot of room for questions today. So we're looking forward to all of your thoughts on what you want us to talk about today. Let's go to the next
1: question. From Guy Cochran in Seattle, USA, NAB New York News.
2: Alex, what have
1: you heard out of New York?
2: I thought that guy was throwing a Cochrane and and then he's not here. Like he's I saw not the here. question, the video, I was like, oh, well, guy will have some news he wants to talk about, and then he threw a cochrane. It's like it's like it's like a quarterback throwing a pass on the receivers Cochran. on the other on the. It's an incomplete Cochran. <laughs> Just threw it like, to the wrong <laughs> side of he the ground, the wrong pattern. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. not there. So I was like, because I was like, oh, I wonder what guy has seen it at NEB or anyone seen. You know, we we weren't able to do the coverage uh, the way we wanted to do it this this week, and and I've been trying to. Follow along and I have to say that I miss our coverage now more than ever, uh, mostly because there's been so little of it so so there's um, so little coming out of NAB uh, and I don't know whether that's a, just a lack of announcements or just a lack of coverage, um, but we really haven't seen that much I think this DGI of course uh, the, the what we just saw with the, um, the camera that is technically released during NAB but I haven't seen a lot of other announcements and I'm on press lists so it's kind of interesting um, yeah, go ahead Mitchell oh sorry sorry Bill. <laughs> right, no problem
1: I'm oh, going. No, uh, David Brady's been uh, lurking around uh, after hours and uh, showing up with a uh, live walkthrough, but I haven't uh, been on when he was there and catch the, uh, uh, the commentary. Uh, the other thing is that AES is also involved too now, I think as of tomorrow or today. Um, so there's going to be a lot of audio-related things going on, but I haven't seen any big press releases.
0: David Brady, Listen. What is more important, your professional career or your friends here on the show? You can just leave your job and, and come in during the day here <laughs> day. to office hours and tell around. us about it. <laughs> no, you don't think so? Uh, anyway, uh, we're hoping for any news we get out of there. So if any of you who are listening uh, have been to NAB in New York and you've seen anything interesting, pop a question into the QR code system or something like that, and we'll, we'll take a look at it. We'd love to know what the n- announcements are, what's uh, the buzz on the show floor, and things like how well attended it is. And kind of what the feeling is for uh for things like nab east so next question
1: speaking of qr code here's one from jens olson in sandpoint idaho how powerful is the headphone amp in the mix pre three is it capable of driving higher impedance hi-fi headphones alex
2: I don't, I haven't tried that. I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if it's designed for doing high impedance headphones. Uh, I am actually in the market for that. I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out, I have, I have a pair of high impedance headphones that I'm trying to find a solution for, um, but I haven't, haven't quite figured that out. I'll, I'll try to test it there, but I don't, I don't think it's, it's, it's a very respectable headphone output, but I don't know if it's really built for that, that level.
1: Mitchell? You can spend serious money on high-quality headphones. A lot of those are high-impedance or electrostatic or whatever. Um, they make a specific—sorry, about it's garbage day here. Uh, they make very specific uh, headphone amplifiers, and they're very pricey. But I would go to Benchmark if you wanted a specific headphone amplifier that was capable of driving um, a high-impedance one, because that impedance makes a difference.
0: Yeah. Uh, Courtney? And I'm not sure. I think I remember I
3: have a a Mix Pre Three, version one, which there were a lot of complaints about the headphone amplifier not having enough guts or being a little bit noisy. Uh, and they so I know they I think they changed the headphone amplifier in version two. So make sure you get a Mix Pre Three, two, because it also has the uh, higher speed DSP for doing uh, sound plugins and sound processing for like noise assist. Um, but uh, I think the version 1 had some problem with the headphones. I'm not sure. depends on your headphones and what impedance they are and, you know, what levels you have running in. You can pipe a lot of—you can route a lot of stuff to those headphones. There's extensive routing to the headphone channel. So it depends. It depends on whether you're listening mono, stereo, et cetera.
0: Chris Fenwick.
5: Yeah, I'm just an editor. I don't— you know solder my own cables or print my own 3D stuff but i will tell you uh it's loud it's wicked loud i don't know what all this impedance stuff means but it's wicked loud i have mine turned down to like
0: 50% oh your mixpre 3 has got plenty of juice to drive you're in 7506s is that what i see there they're pretty efficient
5: no these are mv uh these oh. are v6s these are the v6s original.
0: the early uh, yeah the early version i yeah. say but,
5: but they're- um yeah no it's it's really loud i don't know what that means Okay, uh, Mitchell, you wanted to get back in on this?
1: Yeah, a little history. Uh, when I first got into radio, we uh, wore these things called cleavites. They're made out of bakelite with a metal, p- you know, plate in it, and they were high impedance, and um, they uh, were like firing razor blades into your stem, So I don't think you want one of those.
0: They do a closeout from the CB club or something. I, even I didn't I as old as I am, and as far long as I have never, I've never had
1: bakelite headphones. <laughs> That's Cleavite. really kind of cool
0: and it's nice. It's the thing
1: nice. Uh, Let's go to the next question. Lucas Herzog from Mainz has a question uh, from the QR code. I need to play out a video out of a Declan card and it's multiple audio channels 5.1 into a Dante network through DVS. What software in a Mac or PC could pull this off? Alex, help us out.
2: You know, I believe that you could do it with QLab. I know you can do it with Softron on the air because we've done it quite a few times in the past. In fact, we do it regularly. So uh, basically, Softron supports the the Dante output. Um, I think the most channels we've ever put out over Dante was 37 channels at one time attached to... Um, a A single piece of video, so the video pushes out, and the reason we did that was because we were doing five one four, so not just five 5-1, one but five one four and then we were swapping language channels, so there was like six languages that were stacked on top of that, and so what we had to do is you 'd send them all out at one time into the Dante network, and then we would um, peel off the channels we needed in the FSs and put them in so that we had different streams for every every language. So anyway, so so nothing like doing multiple languages in five one four. But the the only thing that we could do at that level of on the Mac was was. Um, uh, and, and again, that one over 16, so you can't even embed them into the STI. So so anyway, so that is the um, uh, the Softron on the air. It's a little expensive. I think the QLab will do it as well as far as putting out 5.1, but I'm not 100% sure. I haven't tried it.
0: Hopefully, Lucas, that gives you some areas to explore. Let's dive into the next question.
1: And we're going to drop another QR code question from Chester Sweeney, Las Vegas, Nevada. Before Noise Assist existed, what was the solution?
0: Uh, Alex, you want to start us off with what you did before
2: that? Yeah, Cedar, <laughs> Cedar
1: mm-hmm. was the was the one before that. I mean, there was
2: there's lots of I mean, there's Dolby noise reduction and there's and there was other things. And I'm talking about live, so I'm, you know, noise assist is really something there for live. You, there's plenty of things that can post process for noise, but when it comes to doing live um, noise reduction, uh, we were using a Cedar DNS8 and, C- and a series of a bunch of C- DNS2s. They're both both very expensive. You know, the DNS two I think was three or four thousand dollars. The DNS eights were in the seven or eight thousand dollar range, um, and and you could use gates and expanders and you know there's other things that people would use that were built into everybody's mixers, but they never worked nearly as well. So um, so what we found was what we thought was magical was the cedar until we had the noise assist. I I feel like the noise assist is much gentler than the cedar when it comes to how it removes that noise and it's a lot less uh, robotic when it when you turn it up.
1: Mitch Hill. I think Alex covered it very well there. Um, and you can get uh, Cedar on the, some of the higher end um, uh, uh, noise assist devices. What are they? Sound devices. Uh, but my question to you, Alex, is which is truly better, Cedar or noise assist? As uh, no,
2: noise assist, hundred percent. Like it's better. Like it is. And I, and I spent a lot of money on both of them. <laughs> like, and and I and I and I've had them both in the same place at the same time. We've put signals through them all. Um, it is the there is not. It's not. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's not close, but it's. It is. Uh, it's. It's. It's pretty clear that the noise assist is better. And where what, what where it really happens is in all the little transients at the bottom. So when things are really quiet in the cedar, here this and you can hear this little. You can hear what we what we would call audio aliasing in the cedar when it's turned way up. And whereas the, the sound the noise assist is much less likely to do that um, from our experience,
3: Courtney. Yeah, and in, uh before cedar and Noise Assist in production recording, uh, even in the analog days, uh, we used to use uh, uh, A2s and ADs to go, hey, quiet on a set, and turn off that refrigerator. <laughs>
5: <laughs> if you heard everybody with headphones flinch <laughs> here
3: <laughs> and have the cops outside hold the traffic, all right?
2: Okay. That's noise assist and AD.
0: It's not volume <laughs> assist, it's noise assist. Yes. I will say that everything you've heard from me in the last uh, nine months here has been through a Cedar uh, plug-in on my Universal Audio Apollo solo and uh, I've done my last three audio books through it from this desk and um, I've had nothing but really good results no matter whether I'm being quiet or loud uh, it just knocks out everything except my voice and my voice is still pretty much my voice so I've had really good experience with it Uh, but that's as a plug-in on the Universal Audio Apollo Solo which is using an onboard DSP to do the processing unlike I think those old hardware units I think they've they've gone a little farther. It is still a $300 plug-in, so it's not a a super cheap thing, but it's been really worth it for me. Uh, Chris Henwick, you want to get in on this again?
5: Yeah, I'm sitting in a parabolic dish of of computers and fans and 100 terabytes of data right on the other side of the monitors, and there's a dorm room mini-fridge 10 feet away. So lots of noise sources. Yeah, when I take my headphones off... I'm, I'm amazed. It's like, wow, how do I work here? Oh, yeah. Noise assist in my headphones.
0: Yeah. It, it, it has gotten better because I never used to be able, particularly the Neumann TLN-103 that I use for the audiobooks. I replaced this mic with that because it is much more sensitive and has much more nuance. And the fact that I can use it here at this desk with the little tiny fans and the washing machine down the hall and it's completely acceptable for all those audiobooks has astonished me. The things are getting better in this. Mitchell, you had some thoughts.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to flip the question just a little bit. Um, If you're doing it in real time, all the suggestions you just heard, if you're doing it in post, there are lots of plugins available for that, uh, preferably the Isotope line.
0: Yeah, Isotope has really good noise reduction and a lot of other really great tools. I use uh, three or four of them like Deplosive and... uh, Pop filters and things like that on the audiobook stuff that I do, and it just makes it automated. I can take a three, a, a ten hour thing, and process it all in five minutes, and get rid of uh, fricatives, plosives, and things like that. Really works beautifully. So we've talked about this a little bit. Let's move on to the next
1: question from Jack Rupel in Breckenridge, Colorado. Type C to Type C audio signal adapter forty four zero six small rig. Is it USB three point one? Alex, do you know? So what he's asking about is this little turnaround here.
2: So this is the um, the Type C to Type C, which I don't think is out yet. And it's not very expensive. Um, I think it will have to be, and I don't know for sure. I don't know why you would build one of these if you weren't able to do that, because um, the problem that you'd have here is that you wouldn't um, uh, that. You wouldn't be able to pa- it's designed specifically so you can hook your SSDs to your camera. And so if it's not three point one, it seems like that would undermine it. And all it is here, this little turnaround here, I believe, is just gonna be cables. Like this is just connectors going from one to the other. So I don't think it I don't think it has to be anything because it's not negoti it's not designed to negotiate. Um so so I I think that it's going I think you're gonna find that it it is three point one uh uh reliable, you know, compatible, compatible. Yeah. Um, and so, so I think that I'd, I, that's my, that's my guess um, because I, I just don't, I don't see how they'd release it without that. Um, but it could, it might not be, and it's in pre-order right now. And I, evidently your risk is very low at $6.90. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, so you can, you might, you know, you're going to to put off those two lattes that you were going to get or one now with inflation. Um, and so, uh, so the, uh, um, but I, I think you're probably okay, but I, I think that it would have to be because why would you make it if it wasn't because your drive wouldn't. Be fast enough
0: to use it. We all look, saw that fluoroscope picture of the connector on the Thunderbolt cable from Apple that looked like it had 300 micro components inside of it. Th- at six dollars ninety five cents, I can guarantee you this isn't fast. Yes, now, with less with less diodes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> less diodes, less things. Uh, Jeffrey Powers, you had a point.
4: Three words for you: hot glue gun. Um, when we, when I built fly kits for, uh, for COVID, uh, remote shoots, uh, the one thing that always concerned me was adapters because they, you're basically stuffing everything into a cage and, and that's what small rig is doing and you, they don't know where that USB, uh, plug is going to be. So, and I know that's not what this is, uh, this is meant for, but in some cases that's where it's going to be used. So when you plug in an adapter to a plug, it's best to have a way to be able to secure it. And I don't think that there is, maybe somebody should make a little adapter to go onto the adapter that'll lock that USB in. So when you throw that into a case and somebody pulls it out, and probably pull it out by the cord and then put it onto a tripod. At least it's not, uh, that's not going to be the problem.
0: Wonder if you could adapt something from tether tools. They for the DSLR shooters use them a lot for those little tiny connectors that go in. They have little things that you can attach to your camera that provides uh, strain relief so that things don't pull out. So that might be a place to look if you want to hybrid up something, but hopefully that helps. Let's go to the next question.
1: From Daniel Patridge in Rochester, Minnesota. Anyone fork over big bucks for the Mac Studio in a large empty shell yet, aka the new Mac Power or Mac Pro Tower? I see Apple as refurbs of base models for $1,000 off original price. Would that tempt you now at that price? Well, that's an interesting
2: question, Daniel. Let's see what Alex thinks. Alex? I usually buy ones knowing what project I'm going to work on them with, and I just haven't had a project that required us to to go down that path yet. So I, I haven't bought a tower. Um, the thousand dollars is probably still not enough to to get one right now. Um, um, but I am waiting to see. I probably will make the move i do have things where i want to have cards especially one of the things i'm really interested in is the idea of having you know building a more dense kit that does stuff like office hours where we have a bunch of cards in there and are able to tie everything back together and having one machine that does a lot of those things and so but we probably waited for the m3 to see you know what we what we get which we may come out as early as next um on
1: monday
0: yeah uh
1: Yeah, it seems like a signal that something might be coming down the uh, pike, perhaps on Monday when they have the scary, fast I, Mac uh, episode coming up. You were going to yeah, say something? I was going to
2: say, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens on Monday. I'm going to be actually on Twit on Monday, but what I'll do is I'm going to come right into After Hours right afterwards. Um, and um, and so the uh, uh, so I'm going to, you know, we'll be on covering, the doing it at 5 o'clock. I imagine it'll be half an hour long. I don't think it's going to be a full hour, um, but it might be. We'll see. Um, yeah, it, the, it's, oh, go ahead. The, uh, what's interesting to see is whether Apple starts to sync all the hardware. Long ago, they used to release all the hardware together, like all the, <clears throat> you know, here's our, new, here's our new chips, here's what they look like on all the machines, and it's been this weird TikTok of things happening all different times, and it's very confusing to have, I think, to have M2s and M3s and all this other stuff, and I think that there's going to be some point in the next year or two where Apple syncs all of that up, and this might be the time that they do it, but we'll see. But I think within the next two years, they'll sync everything up and going. We have a new chip. This is what the new chip looks like across all of the desktop, you know, all the computer, the Mac machines, um, and um, and here's here's how they how, here's how they work. They might leave the Pro one out, but at, at some point, it's it's weird to have it's it's weird if they release an M3 for the la- <clears throat> for the laptops. It's weird to have the laptops be faster than the than the tower. You know, like that's a weird it's a weird space to be in, and I think Apple has to correct that eventually.
0: I'm only going to be disappointed if, since it's Halloween Eve, we don't see Craig Federighi as Frankenstein's oh, yeah. monster with fabulous hair. Craig's got to dress that's up. Just, yeah, there you go. Mitchell Hill?
1: I was going to continue to say that uh, the Mac Pro uh, looks very tempting. Um, I don't really have a need for deck link and all those things, and but the 1,000 off is in the right direction, but it matters little because I'm suffering from Italian disease. My funds are low, so I can't buy one anymore.
5: <laughs> Chris Fadwick... <laughs> I think Apple's been sort of enjoying, I I know it's frustrating for the tech elite that are always shopping for the fastest, fastest. Uh, But I think they're getting a lot of mileage out of rotating the the chips through the product line. I I, I love watching my family uh, because they don't understand me at all. They don't understand what I do. And they're just like, man, I want a computer. They literally don't care. They really don't care. My daughter wanted the pretty pink one. That's all she cared about. And frankly, (laughs) I'm I'm not kidding. She goes, goes, can can you help me get a computer? I go, let's go get a computer. I go, well, do you want this chip or that? She goes, I just want the pink one. And so the vast majority of people buy their computers that way, I believe. Even Mac people. Most people... They don't care that much. And for Apple to to get all that mileage out of multiple rollouts throughout the year, I think it's I, I don't think they're gonna sync it up.
2: Alex. Again, I think the reason they'll sync it up is because the Mac is such a small part of their business that it, you know, having it the the you know, these release the releases are real, you know, they're they're stressful, you know, and and so I think that I think that the cadence that could make a lot of sense for Apple within the next couple of years is to have the iPhone and watch come out in September the hardware come out in late October early November the iPads be released in February or March and the AR and VR and whatever else they want to talk about there comes out during WWC then they get kind of into a quarterly cadence and I think that that makes more sense for Apple than you know because what happens is they don't they don't do big releases even now look at this this is not a they didn't bring the press in they're going to release a bunch of stuff with video only. They're not, you know, like it's not a um, you know, that the Mac is not 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 a big deal for them from a from a cash perspective. So they they're like here. Here you go. You know, so so I don't know if they want to do more of those events, you know, for the, for that because it's not if they thought they were really important, they'd bring the press in to look at them and oogle over them and they're not
5: doing that. So I think that they're they're just they're just continuing to keep everybody happy. But so. if you look at the history of what Apple said for why they like say got out of you know doing Mac uh, Mac World or wait what was it called uh, the, what uh, was Mac the trade World. show called yeah Macworld. Yeah, Mac 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 they World. said they they said oh, and why they got out of any, out of NAB they didn't want to be beholden to the cadence of oh there's a show what are we well, going to show they, but
2: again they don't have to be beholden to this cadence I mean that that they could decide oh we're not going to do this we're we're not ready yet to release all of these. We'll okay. release it in a, in a, you know, the thing is, is what they don't have is somebody else's date to be caught up in. They, they still have their own control over their own date. Um, so they can always push it out. But I think that from a user perspective, it just is a clearer message to have the same chip and show how that chip, because what's really interesting is they they actually are getting pretty good at like, I love the, the elegance of the studio, the, the, the Mac Pro is the studio with extra peripheral support like I mean like it and and they're and they're very clear about it like if you get the two of them are going to go just as fast but if you need cards and you need more lanes you buy this one and if you need this you buy this one and you know it's I think it's clear but I think it's pretty clear between the Mac Pros um, I think that you know the the Mac Mini sits in a place that the Mac Studio doesn't. Like it's it's a little complicated at the top of the Mac Mini and the bottom of the Studio, but but the you know the extra fan and and everything because they, they otherwise they're very close and so so the um, so anyway those are the kind of uh, but I think Apple like just being able to say we have a new chip and saying this is how it expresses itself across the entire line. I just think is a more unified message than what they what they're doing right now. And it's just, confu- again, I think it's confusing to have Mac Pros, MacBook Pros that are faster than Mac Pros, which if they do this thing on, they, you know, like it's, and they've done that in the past by accident. Like they they did that with the G3s because the G3s, you know, had a, a large, the G3 team, was even showing the G4 team in Motorola that hey we put this bigger cache in and we think it might ha- affect performance and the G4 team ignored it and so the G3 came out way faster than the G4 and so they so they didn't they did that and that lasted for a little while and almost killed Apple because they had done power computing and everything they had the, the way that they had set up their thing that um, it didn't work well so Apple did it once and it wasn't very you know and they've done it now again and I I think that they. You know, we'll see what happens on Monday. But I, I still think that within two years they'll sync these and they'll just release all of the heart, all the Mac products will all get released on the same day. It, it Mitchell, may not be day, but it
1: oh. will be sometime. Yeah. Mitchell? Yeah, I, I think Chris uh, has got a point uh, because never underestimate the power of the consumer to make decisions that are totally unexpected about uh, a device. I remember when Philips and Sony announced the uh, compact disc. Yes, that was around then. I'm old. Um, it was, uh, they did the research, and then they released research, and the people bought the compact disc, not because it sounded great or it was convenient, it's because it was pretty. Yeah, I'll never
0: underestimate the power of fashion in marketing. Uh, Courtney Gooden. Yeah, I think you're both missing it.
3: I don't think they're going to do a hardware update to the M3 without this, and, you know, with a little notice, as Alex said, and without the press being invited to... Lay hands upon to review. Uh, maybe you're all being pranked. And noticing the timing of it being October 30th, I think they're going to release new cases for the back mini, the Maco Lantern, because uh, it just comes in this new case. It has cooling with the eyes and the the teeth built in there, and so it works a lot cooler. So I think that's what's going to be you know, the Maco Lantern.
0: Nouveau IMAX in candy corn colors. Wait for it. Alex.
2: And again, I think that the, the strongest argument for it is specifically that it keeps, for the consumer, it keeps it simple. Like they understand how all these things fit together. And I think that's the one thing that Apple has uh, has had in the past that sometimes it's lost its way in the 90s, um, but but is that you clearly understand which one you should get based on what you want. Um, they've got a couple too many, in my opinion, um, too many options right now, but, but I think that uh, they, uh, but I think that they can clarify that I think a little bit, um, and it's clearer if they put them all out at the same time and explain how they're all different, as opposed to having them released in different cadences. So we'll we'll see we'll see how that goes.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, we've spent a good little bit of time on there, which pushed me back from remembering that we are doing two hours of question and answer today. We have a solid list of questions for the second hour, but we always can use more. So please, if you're interested, you have a topic, if something in this discussion uh, kind of sparked your imagination and you want to talk about uh, that, then put a question in. We'll be happy to get to it. And remember, those of you who are in the McCona system, vote on those questions. Let us know what you're most interested in hearing about. Let's go to the next question.
1: And it's coming in from Dave Troutman in Edmonton, Canada. Has anyone else noticed a new feature in Pages for iPads called Presentation, which turns your text into a teleprompter with speed and size controls and a new icon in the top left corner? I haven't seen that, Alex. Had you no. noticed that? <laughs> no, that's
2: well, pretty cool. So, so that looks really cool. I, I, um, I admit that I don't do presentations very often from my iPad. So I, I'm not, uh, you know, my iPad is part of my development process, but generally it is uh, above and below it. I, I, because I there's a lot of screens available in Keynote. So that's the other thing to know is that Keynote when you're on a Mac. Um, will the display. There's a presenter display. There's a couple other displays that are available. So I kind of tend to use those displays up, and as a result, end up using a Mac to do my presentations. Um, but uh, but I'm gonna check this out. This looks really interesting.
0: I'm trying to load it right now. It was uh, offline on my iPad, so it's downloading now. Courtney. Yeah. Can you tell me if it uh, if it hooks up to an external display and inverts
3: that display that it's putting out as its yeah, prompter?
2: I don't hmm. know. Let's see how long Pedro it takes to load a up. thumbs and, up. Maybe he's got it running, huh? Yeah. Everybody Everybody wants a teleprompter now. If, if, you know, it's, yeah. it's all the rage. Courtney, I think that digital teleprompters are going to be all the rage. I'm if getting out, get out get into of the that.
3: teleprompter <laughs> business at just the right time. <laughs> I got a teleprompter service company for sale. Anybody wants one?
2: Yeah, and
0: Courtney
3: was only 40
0: years ahead of everybody's time. Oh, it just gave me what's new in pages as it of uh, the things. We're gonna go on to the next question. If I get this yep. up and running, I'll we'll, we'll circle back to it.
1: So next question. And it's coming into has coming into us from Hasma Kajar and Cape Town South Africa. Love my Zoom Zoom ISO workflow. Now with corporates forced to use Teams, can we have a Teams channel in office hours Discord? It appears I have to learn NDI or have the pin farm to deliver same Zoom experience with teams. Anyone can do a lab to come to speed with teams. Jeffrey?
4: Yeah, I'd love to see that happen, especially with, uh, <clears throat> with Teams and Meet. And, you know, a couple weeks ago we talked about Brandon's system uh, on how he put together a, uh, uh, a remote uh, uh, system. And he's not using Zoom, like so, because he has to bring in Teams, because he has to bring in Google Meet. And so it'd be probably a good second hour to, as well to, uh, to kind of do the hybrid, uh, re- the hybrid virtual system.
2: Alex? Yeah, and this was the original reason that we built the 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 system that we have in know, which is sixteen PCs, and those PCs could put anything in there and go back and you know back and forth. And because the audio and the video were completely outside out of band, and they were all being delivered back to it, it didn't really matter what we were running. And we've done that in the past. Um, the The way that we've handled some teams' events, just to kind of put it out there, is that. Uh, we, you have to know whether the participants, the, the speakers have to be in Teams or just the viewers. So if the viewers are the only ones that if it's a delivery to Teams. Uh, to a Teams event. We run it in Zoom. (laughs) So so we run it, like we just put, we put all the speakers into Zoom and you'd be surprised a lot of them, oh, I can't use Zoom, I can't use Zoom. And if you push a little harder and explain to them why it's going to be, oh, you're going to be higher resolution and the conversation is going to be more fluid. But if you wanted to use Teams, you can, you know, there's a little bit of gaslighting that can be done there. Like, you know, it's, Teams is totally fine for, you know, run of the mill kind of, you know, not very good presentations because you'll be at a lower resolution. The audio won't be the same quality. Latency will be higher. But other than that, it'll be fine. And <laughs> you'd be surprised how many people are like, well, how do I make it better? And then and then you go, well, we use Zoom ISO and then we just feed it back into Teams. So then what you do is you take a you join Teams with your um system and then you you output your final program into Teams. Um so you just have to decide. Now sometimes you do have people for whatever security reasons or they're Microsoft or, <laughs> or something like that 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 have to use Teams and then you have to go back into the dark ages because Teams is dramatically behind <laughs> like you know and and you know and i used to say that zoom was way ahead and teams was, was coming up behind them i don't think that that's the case anymore uh, i think that teams has just completely been jacked and and uh uh the one that is now the heir apparent to the number two position i would say is is actually uh um uh no, I'm, I, I'll come back to it. The, the name, literally, Web um, um, WebEx I WebEx. Uh, Just, just ran away from my head. Um, so WebEx is probably they're the ones that are the moving the fastest right now. Um, they're, they're, the velocity is higher in WebEx than anybody else that I've seen. Um, and I, I have a company that uses a lot of WebEx and so I'm in meetings and those, and you just watch the. I've watched the progression over the last year and a half, and it's, it's amazing. <laughs> so, so they're still way behind, but it's an amazing uh, move. They put a lot of money into
5: that. Uh, Chris Fenwick. I'm, my estimation would be that the what is happening between Teams, uh, Zoom, and yeah, maybe WebEx is very, today, is very analogous to what was happening um, with OSs in the early 90s. And um, many of us, sorry, Courtney, many of us really believe that the Mac OS was, was far superior. And we dove into it uh, headlong, uh, full commitment. And yet, corporations chose Windows for some weird reason, and Courtney probably has some good reasons. Uh, it, and what was happening, because I was doing these shows, teaching this stuff to IT people before they were called IT people, is they were literally being told, the best way to get control over your network is, one, get rid of all the Macs, and then we'll figure out the other problems. And so... That is happening now, at least with our clients, where they're being told, we don't care about your Zoom ISO. We don't care about your resolution. We don't care about any of those things. IT told us we have to use this, so we're going to use it. And this is why I've been saying you know, to, to Zoom, it's one thing to make the best technical product, but you have to run the politics side of the game too. You have to be dealing with the companies to convince them that your tool is better for other for the the other reasons besides it's just technically better it doesn't matter i really believe the mac was always better but it, it almost got squashed out of existence in 1997 right like what we That's were right. 3 months 3 months from bankruptcy because the yeah, but, era. but, but one, the one thing i will say about that is the reason that apple
2: was 3 months away it was not because they got squashed out it's because they were trying to be like Microsoft so they were trying to provide a different version of a Mac for everything the 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 chaos that was created by Apple trying to be something that they weren't so the 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 number one danger i think for Zoom right now is trying to be Microsoft and trying to add all these features that none of us need or want and so the problem is, is that what we, you know, what the, what Zoom had the opportunity to do, and they're not doing right now, is they had the opportunity to be the best platform to do video, video conferencing. And what they've done is they've watered it down and put add a bunch of stuff that most of us, we open that window and we go no, and we all shut it. And so they have a whole thing that no one wants. You know, they're, and they're probably making some impact, but the thing is, is that they they're losing their their focus on being a great. Um, you know, a great video conferencing app, you know, that, that can run conferences and, and everything else. And there's a big piece of the bottom of that pyramid of people who don't care about teams or don't even know why the teams, you know, we getting too focused on the top of that pyramid, the top of that pyramid, is, you know, the, the, we have to remember that there's a lot of small businesses and small, medium-sized businesses that that you want to make sure that they're using it and they're not falling into that, that process. And um, because the, you know, that's, I think that, the, because I, I just don't, I don't know anybody, I mean, I'm sure that there are people out there that are really excited about all these tools that Zoom has been adding, but I don't know any of them. <laughs> like, like I, don't know, I like everybody I talk to is just like, oh, this other window pops up and then I shut it and then I go back to what I'm doing. And people know Zoom as a certain thing, and I think they're going to have a hard time. And I think that if they can keep on developing those goofy little tools, but that, <clears throat> but I think that if they don't stay focused on continuing they got to hold that line of being the best video conferencing place to go the easiest and the best one to do which I think that the liminal team has given them the opportunity to do to 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 be that Um, but I also think when they say people should come back to work when they do not very good um, you know uh, uh, hybrid events when they do those kind of things they're not they're not leading that path they're following the old way you know, and I think that them following the old way is, is they're not committing to what they have. And so I think that that's, that's, gonna, that's a real challenge for Zoom. You know, like it's and, it's, and I think it'll be really, for someone who's very committed to Zoom and doing a lot of stuff in Zoom, both professionally and here in office hours, it worries me. <laughs> you know, like that it's, that it's going, you know, that, it's going, that that a lot of things things that we were promised, like double ended recording and so on and so forth that was going to move things forward, haven't occurred. You know, and, and so, um, so it it worries me that they're losing focus and, uh, and especially when you start to watch a company like WebEx pick up speed, you know, very, very fast. I mean, Zoom, yeah, anyway, Zoom is losing contracts because WebEx closed the distance like that. So Zoom, Zoom is competing for contracts that it lost because it wasn't as clear a winner as it was a year before and it was, and, 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 so it, it, it's, and, and we're talking big contracts. They are losing those contracts because they aren't the clear winner anymore because Webex closed the distance enough to hang on to those contracts and that is, that's a, that's, that's what they should watch, you know, to do that because the other stuff is, you know, fine, but it's, they, they have to be the clear winner and they're, they're, they're not anymore.
1: Mitchell? Mitchell? I think the thing that uh, keeps them up at night is that they're trying to be a platform, not necessarily a service, to provide as a way to do these things that we do. So, because of their platform development, people don't quite understand that, and they're taking their eye off the prize. And uh, by the way, can somebody explain what a pin farm is? Is that scraping? Yeah, yeah. Multiple pinning,
2: machines. You have a bunch of machines, and you're you're pinning the ones that you want to use in the in a given show, um, and even, I don't use pin farms, I mean, I haven't used pin farms in a long time, but but we used to use pin farms for, uh, build pin farms for hangouts, you know, long ago, but, but it's being able to lock on to the, you know, lock, you know, pin the people that you want to show at any given time in the, in your program. So you may have as many as 10 or 15 of them there, then you're kind of pinning people or, or usually, it was usually three to six, but it could be more where you can lock, you know, each one of them as a participant in that, to the thing and pulling those out and it's a horrible way to live like it's just ugh, it's such a horrible production pipe pipeline but we used court
0: to, oh Courtney you want to bring us home
3: uh yeah in, in response to chris's diatribe the uh a lot of a lot of the uh, reason that corporations went with the uh a windows version as opposed to the mac version is because of open architecture and mac was a closed system and you couldn't you know develop your own hardware and developing your own software was much more difficult on the mac platform the mac ran a lot better for all the mac people out there because it had limited hardware there was only uh, it only their software, their operating system would only run on their computers, and uh, their com- you know their software supported their video cards, and their software supported their I/O, and et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, that's why the corporate world and the industrial world and the uh, All the uh, medical world moved to the Windows platform because it was open architecture. They could build their own custom solutions to whatever computing needs they meant, needed, and still run it under the uh, common uh, software operating system. And I think this is a problem that happened with Zoom is that uh, when they brought Liminal in, they started doing Mac only type of software. Their improvements, their new, hot new software only worked on iOS or only worked on the Mac operating system. And that kind of shot themselves in the foot because they're cutting off 80% of the market of the worldwide market in computers and desktops. So that may be why it forced a lot of people into teams because they just didn't have that much of the market. And uh, so, you know, a a corporation has to pick one way or the other, you know, because they can't if they can't pick both, if it's not interoperable. So they, they force people to use Teams. You know, it may not be better, uh, you know, because it has to support a wide variety of uh, video cards, a wide variety of CPUs from different manufacturers. Uh, and it's much tougher to roll out software uh, that's compatible across all that stuff, but they've managed to somewhat do it and make it compatible amongst all the different hardware manufacturers. But it is much more difficult to do. Uh, and that's why it, uh, you see... You know, people claiming that the Mac is far much better, but it's much more limited. All
0: right. I had... um, uh, I had... Pages up for teleprompting, but we're out of time. We're going to have to do the transition at the top of the hour. And before we do that, I have to say, tomorrow on the show, Zoomtopia revisited our friends Andy Carluccio, Jonathan Cocotello, Sam Kakaiko from Zoom. They'll be stopping by to dish on some of the backstage stagecraft that took place at Zoomtopia. It was a huge show, and a big IMAX style graphics, uh, IMAX style graphics driven thing. I understand Unreal Engine was involved, so we'll be talking about that tomorrow. We're going to take a Very, very short break here at the top of the hour as we make our transition. And when we come back, I'll talk uh, just for a second about this pages thing. Welcome back to the second hour of our show. As you heard in the beginning, we are doing two hours of Q&A today. In the tail end of the last hour, we had a question come in about uh, what Apple has done in terms of adding some basic teleprompter-like things to pages. So I will pop up my iPad running pages here, and uh, you can either move to this little icon on the top or left, but the uh, ellipsis here, one of the new things is presenter mode, and it puts you into something that looks a little bit like a teleprompter. And as a matter of fact, if you type on this double A up there, you can see auto scroll. You can turn it on and determine the speed at which it will scroll. I don't see anything on my initial look here in terms of um, flipping or do anything actually for teleprompting, but for a basic iPad prompter, that's there. It looks like we have some text choices in terms of backgrounds and things like that Uh, you can check fonts and um, you have some line spacing and margin controls so it's a very basic kind of non-flippable at least from what I could see in my real quick examination of it but it's built into pages so this is another kind of feature you get with the software you've been using about there we go thank you for your patience and let us dive into our next question for the second half of the show
1: First up, Jeff Veely from Henderson, Texas. When adding a second internet provider, what's the best way to connect it for failover? Do you use a switch, or plug both providers into a router? Jeffrey Powers, what say you?
4: Well, uh, you can use it uh, in a, in a few different ways. Uh, two main ways to to uh, to. Put t- together your internet. One is through what's called bonding, and the other one's called SD WAN. Think of uh, bonding as uh, the video or whatever. Uh, part of it takes the high road, part of it takes the low road, and see who gets to double it before them. Uh, SD WAN is a little bit different because it it combines the two internets, but it can switch it out. So like, for instance, I have SD-WAN here, and right now my video for Zoom is going through one internet connection. And I've defined that, that whenever there's a Zoom call, it goes through the fastest connection. And then if I have like, let's say uh, security cameras, all my security cameras will go through the other internet connection. So, if both of them converge together trying to ask for the bandwidth, it doesn't get a bottleneck in in the uh, in the connection altogether. So, uh, you can definitely run them separate. You don't need to have. You can have two separate routers and then just kind of say, okay, all these uh, all these security cameras are on that router, and my Zoom's on this router, but. With if you have one computer, you can't you can't switch back and forth between the two. It it would be impossible. So those are the two main protocols that you would probably use to bring two or more internets into the house. Because with my SD WAN, I can also connect up my phone, tether it to the router, and then create a third connection if I really need stability.
2: Uh, Alex. Yeah, if we're doing Zoom or any kind of WebRTC, we don't we don't bond ever because we get the jitter becomes a problem and we we have issues with uh, uh, reframe in you know interframe problems. Um, so you want to be careful of that. The uh, usually the routers that we use, Meraki, uh, Ubiquiti, um, Pepwave, all of those have the ability to have an Internet one, Internet two, and simply have a rollover um, to from one to the other. Um, and so that is what you want to do. Usually there is a little bit of a gap, so it's not going to roll over seamlessly because if it did it would bounce back and forth so it needs to so what it'll do is you'll see it drop and usually it's by for about one or two seconds it'll drop and then come right back up again Um, and so, so but we've been using Meraki stuff for a long time that's what it's designed to do and we've had a do it, you know, there. Um, and when we're testing it so that we understand what the behavior is, once we've done it, we unplug our main um, internet and, uh, and let it roll over so we can see what it's going to do on the stream so we understand what the behavior is going to be. Um, but that is, and my, my recommendation is to get a router that does have uh, two, two WAN connections and is built to swing from one to the other.
0: That takes care of our first question. Next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael in. What factors probably contributed to Apple's services increasing in price? Was it higher costs from the content providers? Alex, what do you think?
2: Unfortunately, I think it's because they could. No, so Netflix took the hit by doing it at a higher rate. And I think that it did two things. One is, is that it allows, when someone goes higher, it allows everybody else to, like if you're going to slide under it, you wait a week after that someone else does something unpopular and then you go, oh yeah, by the way, we're going to move up too um, uh, to get a little bit more money out of that. And also it allows Apple to promote the fact that their service is much less expensive than Netflix. <laughs> so, so by having it go out, you go, oh, they increased their price by $2. But it's still half of what Netflix is right now, and so at a higher quality. So, um, it, and by the way, the Apple TV Plus, the video is, I would say, somewhere between fifty and one hundred percent higher quality video than what Netflix does at twice the price. So, so Apple was able to kind of um, twist that that uh, that a little bit uh, for Netflix. But it also means that they're able to to get garner just a little bit more money out of everybody.
0: Yeah, and they didn't raise it a ton. I do note that what the uh, the big premiere package now with two terabytes of cloud storage and iCloud twenty nine ninety five a month that includes essentially every service they have: news, arcade, Apple Music, Apple TV Plus, uh, the whole thing, Apple Fitness, even which I didn't think I was ever going to go near, but I've actually used a couple of times. So, um, you know, I think everybody's going to to kind of wanting to be your portal into entertainment and info and stuff like that. And this is their play toward that. Um, Let's go to the next question.
1: And it's a QR code question coming into us from Maria Lee Shusha Mira from Weebelow, Missouri. Jeffrey, I can understand that you don't feel you are an expert on eBay pricing, though. I disagree based on your expert advice, but what price did your gear sell for? There's lots of ATEM 4Ks marked complete in eBay, but not as many actually marked sold.
4: Jeffrey, how much of your experience
1: do you want to share?
4: So first of all, I'll answer that second part first. Uh, If you watch yesterday's show, Guy uh, talked about how you can search for items that have been sold. And and down on the bottom, when you go through the search criteria, there's two boxes. There's one that says completed items. There's one that says sold items. What happens is when you sell an item, you have a certain amount of period to ship the item and then the person receives it. So if something like, for instance, my item was sold on Friday, I had until it was yesterday to actually ship it before the deal would go south. And then it takes four or five days for that person to receive the item. and then at that point, it's completely marked sold. Other than other than that, it's still in a completed status there. Uh, for the price, I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is, but I will tell you that the brand new uh, production 4K was 1800 and you can still buy it brand new. Used started at about $1,200, and eBay's, uh, especially anything that was gently used, was about... Uh, six to seven hundred dollars. Since I'm coming into a move, I decided to go around the five hundred dollar mark. Uh, and, and once again, I felt that was best because when I bought it, I, I had a specific use for it. It did the job and, uh, and I got, I got paid to do that. So I got my money back on that, on that item. And now I'm going to give it to somebody who's, like I said, he's, uh, he's building fly packs for uh for remote uh, remote productions so and of course he's then selling them on, on ebay for around three thousand dollars but there's more parts in there than just the uh production 4k so i'm really happy that it's going to get uh, extra use out of it so uh so hopefully that answers the question al- al- at best yeah
1: absolutely thank you for all of that let's go to the next question From J.J. McKenna, San Rafael, California. A local municipality had a rather difficult Zoom event that is normally broadcast weekly for which Mukana would have been a much better interface. Where is public info and function housed to present to these opportunities? Alex? Uh, they have to contact us.
2: We're we're working on making it more scalable, but right now it's still kind of handcrafted for each partner. Um, it's it's still in beta and still kind of handcrafted, and and we really adjust things. The good news is is that we make a lot of adjustments for the partners that we work with, um, but the, the hard news is we don't have a lot publicly there because we just can't handle the flow yet. So we're working on a couple extra tools that will allow us to replicate very fast. Um, those are probably a couple months away.
1: Let's go to the next question. Jeffrey Powers in Madison, Wisconsin, and here on our panel at the Qualcomm Summit, they announced the X-Lite laptop system on chip uh, that runs faster than Apple Silicon and takes less power. Who's thinking of a new vMix machine?
0: Nobody raised their hand. But we we have talked about that this morning, and um, I think there's a lot of interest in it. Uh, this is coming out immediately, I understand, or at least it was announced uh, yesterday or the day before. And um, Apple is coming out with some talk, and there's some consideration that they may have new chips as well. So regardless, the industry is being driven forward. Alex, what say you about all this?
2: Now, Jeffrey, if you throw a cochrane, you have to run the route. That's all I'm saying. You have to run the route. <laughs> if you're going to throw one to yourself, you
4: have to Actually, run Actually, yep. I Run the I threw for I threw for Preto and then Preto had to leave. So, it, <laughs> okay. but I can talk about it.
2: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so the uh, so Preto didn't run the round, I see how it is, uh, or he ran a different round Evidently. So the um, you have to get a popcorn. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I think part of it is let's let's see. Let's <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see it actually working first. Yeah,
3: Courtney. Yeah, they did announce a couple of things they announced is of course this has a new uh architecture for the the built-in video chip uh that is on the on the die. So we'll have to see wait and see uh if the developer packages if the developers bite on this and start to write code directly to the hardware. Um they did say that Microsoft, in their deal with Microsoft, that Microsoft will de- will uh, debut all of the Office apps in native mode for this new silicon uh, from um, Qualcomm so that they will be running fairly fast in these when these new laptops become available next year sometime. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see if the developers pick up the torch and run with it and write to the native code of that particular uh, hardware to see if uh, something like, uh, you know, T-Mix is going to come out on that version and a native version that could be very very fast. Jeffrey
4: yeah Lenovo was first out of the gate to uh, say hey we're going to have one of these Qualcomm do uh uh chips into our uh, into our system it was codenamed Orion if because there was a little bit of confusion on that um so it'll be very interesting to see what happens it's it's like the antivirus wars of course you know one day that uh, one chip is gonna do better than the other one the next day the other one's gonna do better uh, but Apple's also been the uh, tortoise that likes to uh, likes to not push the envelope too much cuz they have tried and true and then they'll uh, they'll eventually pull ahead for a while but have that this new competition to Intel, AMD, and Apple is going to be very interesting. And I know Microsoft, years back, they, they, they pulled out of ARM chips because of the apo- the least amount of popularity, and now they ba- they came back in. So we'll see what happens on here, but it's definitely going to make our machines faster. It's going to make our sh- machines uh, m- more powerful and lighter in the long run. And I'll tell you something. I didn't like to run any type of software switching off of a laptop because of the processor. I'm really excited to see this come because I might just start using laptops once again to do any type of software switching.
0: Hmm. Huh. My whole system is built around a laptop here, and it's been really remarkably solid, Alex.
2: Yeah, I think that it's going to be. Uh, I think it's great for the industry to see, you know, a lot more competition and a drive to move faster forward. The real challenge is going to be the fragmentation of the PC market and and how how much you can take advantage of it. It doesn't have kind of the iron fist that Apple does <laughs> to, to kind of pull things together and have people support a abstraction like metal. Um, and, and so I think that that's going to be the real challenge to see what we do. it. But I do think that companies like vMix will probably figure out ways to really ring the most out of the system. So I think in isolated areas, I think you'll see that pretty quickly uh, across the board. I think that the performance might be a little little rougher, But we'll, but it's really good to see it happen.
0: Certainly is causing a lot of kerfluffle here in San Diego because Qualcomm's based here. And then Apple has a surprisingly large presence in this area. And I think there are constantly people moving back and forth between them. So it's a big economic engine
1: for this part of Southern California. Next question. Peter Moore from Auckland, New Zealand, asking, didn't native instruments buy or acquire isotope?
0: Uh, I've heard that. Um, I just know that Isotope has been a pretty stable and solid part of my workflow for the past four or five years. Alex, what uh, do you know something about?
2: Yes, June. Ah, okay, so they did <laughs> in June. Yeah, yeah they did. <laughs> they did. Okay. I don't have anything else. That that was the question. That's the answer. But yes, they did. They did acquire them in June.
0: Okay. Uh, it, so far, that it looks like, well, I'm trying to think, have they done any updates since I've been heavily into it? Uh, I didn't use a lot of isotope products before I started the audiobook work, but now I use four or five of them for every book. And uh, they've been really stable, and uh, I've had no problems with any of them. So I, I, thumbs up from my side of just as an end user. And let's go to the next question.
1: Alexander Knight in Port Coquitlam, British Columbia, Canada. Have any panelists tested the new full-frame Blackmagic camera? And if so, what do you think and how does it compare to the Super 35 sensor version?
2: Alex? Haven't gotten tested yet. Hopefully we'll be able to get a hand, our hands on a test unit. The problem is I already have 11 of the Super 35s, so <laughs> i got to find a reason to to borrow to borrow a uh, the the full frame one so we'll see if we can borrow one to to take a look at it um, but i i don 't have a, a business reason to get one yet, so that's that 's been the challenge and i think that's been i haven 't seen anybody use it in the wild yet um, it does look like an impressive camera i mean it 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 is um and I think that in that black magic environment it 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 looks like they' fixed a lot of the lot of the things that we want. I think that if we can see the next step is you know for filmmakers is global, i think they 're kind of caught halfway between. If we had a global shutter or great autofocus, <laughs> it would change how everybody looked at it. But you got to have one or the other. So, so I think that that's, I think that there, but there, um, I think you could do a lot of great stuff with it. But I think that those are the two things that are, you don't have to do both of them, but you got to do one of them, you know, in, in my opinion, to, to kind of go down the next path. But as a, as an interview camera and as a, a lot of, there's a lot of things that you can do with it. Um, I think that, that, that it looks like a pretty impressive uh, solution, especially for the price. Fair to say your wallet is medium warm and getting hotter over time? Medium warm, medium warm, you know, like, you know, I think that the, the thing that I'm most interested in in the, in the Blackmagic cameras is the open API for controlling these cameras. And so, um, so being able to control a lot of the, the new cameras um, remotely over an ethernet cable, super excited about that. Like that has, that's, uh, that's something that I'm uh, far more excited about specifically than, than specifically there, uh, you know, the, the full frame as it,
1: as it sits there. Mitchell? Uh, my dp tom shustak um, he's a fellow sony fanboy um, he would never consider using a sony autofocus in a film but for this he likes it well no that's why i said it's 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 a
2: uh, i'm there's definitely, I mean, in, in when we do productions, we don't have any, we don't put lenses on that would be autofocus. And so the autofocus is not a key. I mean, if you use an Aerie or a Venice or whatever, you're not using autofocus. Um, the main thing is at the price point that you're at, though, you're talking about a lot of social media users and they need it. You know, I, I talked to, a, I think I've talked in the past, I talked to a social media, pretty someone has got millions of followers and asked her why. Uh, she uses Sony instead of Blackmagic and she just immediately came back with autofocus. <laughs> like, like, you know, like I, I don't have time to try to figure that out. And, and so that's the, that's the real challenge. Um, and especially when you start wanting to have that YouTube-y kind of like what I have is a very short depth of field. Um, I found myself, the reason I switched over to a Sony for my webcam was because I felt myself rocking back and forth, trying to stay in focus uh, where, you know, I just wanted it to stay in focus. Um, And so, so in the short depth of field world, you do that when you, as soon as you go into real production, um, then you are not doing autofocus at all. Um, So, so that's not, it's not that big of a deal, except for the fact that. Without global shutter, you you do lose a little of what you would um, without a global shutter. You kind of and and the problem is there are global shutters at seven thousand, six thousand dollars, seven thousand dollars. The komo, the red komodo is at six thousand dollars with a global shutter. So there's a there is a need for black magic to to kind of look at that next as they as they go through that process.
1: Alex, I thought inter- you got the oh. Sony because I recommended it. <laughs> I, I know India. I know. you thought
2: that but it's not right. I knew the autofocus. I will so. just
1: say
0: there's always been a traditional fork in the um, cinematography I, world I, between EFP and ENG. ENG I, was electronic news gathering and you go out and shoot whatever's there and it's run and gun and you're just trying to capture content quickly. The EFP, electronic field production, is very much what Alex is talking about and all the movies are done under that kind of thing. It is, we have a script, we have shots they're storyboarded. We're going to go and execute our shots and the camera cinematographer or camera operator would choose their lens depending on the shot that they needed to execute. You never see a zoom lens on those cameras
2: ever. You also have the luxury of having, you, you might see a zoom lens, but anyway, but, but, but you would, You also have the luxury of having uh, a, a focus puller, like somebody who is just, yeah. they're only focused on that. They're only doing the focus and that's, you know, and we've had um, folks here talking about that in the past. Uh, right. the, the number one reason I have to admit that I moved to a Sony is because Greg Gibson kept on sending me um, texts that say, you're out of focus. <laughs> like, you know, like, hey, you're a little, you're just a little out of focus and he's <laughs> He just wore me down. Like, Greg Gibson is, like, sending me these things. Like, you're just a little out of focus. Like, it looks really good. You're a little out of focus. You look really great, but you're a little out of focus. And I'm just like, ah. And then I go back and look at it. I just couldn't take it any longer. Greg, so Greg is the, I mean, Mitchell impacted my impacted my choice um, but and, and talking to some YouTubers and so on and so forth but Greg, Greg was the one that pushed me over the edge of this kind of just little tapping on, on something that he knew I think he knew it would just drive me crazy and that, as that you get
0: wide focus. open as you I- expand yeah. your iris more and more your depth of field gets smaller and smaller to the point yeah. where we've seen people where you're, the TV, your well, nose this, is in
2: focus but this your this eyes out. out this background looks great when it's out of focus when it's in focus you're like wow he's got a bunch of junk on his on his tongue I know so, you know, so, so, so. It's better. It's better. It's better. It's better. Well,
0: these are the things hopes. in photography and cinematography that people who know what they're doing control. They they yeah. know how much depth of field is acceptable, yeah. and they lens for that, and they light mm-hmm. for that, and then they know exactly what they're working with. So, right. yeah, I can. It's a little soft. I've heard that more than I can tell you when I started shooting with DSLRs and had multiple lenses available.
1: Uh, let's go to the next question. And it's from Zach Marley in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Does anyone have experience with the Panasonic BS1H for Multicam? Seems like a good option that has Genlock, timecode, a full-frame sensor, and can be powered and controlled by Ethernet, power over Ethernet. Plus, it also seems to be only $2,500 now.
2: Alex, what do you think?
1: It's a great looking camera.
2: I haven't seen I've I've seen it used as extra cameras, um, you know, that's overhead or, or something like that. We haven't seen it used in a in a true multicam ex- experience. It's not I don't know if it's really built for that. <laughs> so it's it 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 while well, it has a lot of those controls. I don't I don't I don't I've never seen anyone try to shade it the The images that come out of it are amazing. Like they just look beautiful. So it's a it's a really nice camera, um, and it's a box camera. So it lets you kind of you know, build up your kit around it. And I've seen people use it for a lot of film stuff and a lot of overhead and extra cameras. I haven't seen them use it in a true multicam experience.
0: Yeah, it really looks like an interesting thing, Courtney.
3: Yeah, as far as a box cam goes, it looks interesting. It, it, it comes with a plethora of I.O., uh, and it has SDI out and HDMI out, and I think the HDMI out will do 12-bit. So you could hook an uh, Atomos recorder, record some 12-bit RAW out of it, as well as it does H.264 and HEVC encoding and recording onboard, and it has a dual SD card for ping-ponging between uh, storage media, so uh, you can have endless storage media. Uh, It looks quite capable, and the GenLock in will let it be used in multi-camera setups. It remains to be seen what kind of uh, apps they have that interface to it over the Ethernet to control its uh, color or not, but
0: uh, we'll see, I guess. There you go. Let's go to the next question.
1: Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida. What is the mic gain on the Mix Pre Three Version Two? I use an SM7B, and I'd like to get rid of the cloud lifter. Thanks. Yeah, we would like you to, Alex. Uh, I believe it's seventy some dB,
2: somewhere in that range is is the range. There, I don't remember exactly what the number is, but it's plenty uh, for an SM7B. And it is uh, it, so it's, and that's the big thing is that it does have uh, the preamp that you need for that kind of mic. Um, friends don't let friends use cloud cloud lifters. Like don't, (laughs) don't do it. Like, so a, a, a cloud lifter is something that you put into place as an emergency situation for one event, like you keep, you should have a cloud lifter and it should sit in your bag and it should almost always be in your bag, not in the actual production. A cloud lifter means that we didn't do enough pre-pro and there's a mic that's too low and you got to bring it up. It should not be a permanent part of your machine. That is not how you should ever use a cloud lifter is as a permanent part of your chain. Um, It is an emergency piece of tool. It's a very, very effective emergency item that you add to your chain because you didn't plan it out well enough to get it to put the proper preamp in with the, with the mic. But it adds noise. It's just bringing all that stuff up. It is not a clean connection and you should not put it into your chain permanently. That's all I got to say. <laughs> and you're serious about it, Mitchell. I'm very serious about it. Like, it's just like, <laughs> I, I can hear the noise when someone has a cloud lifter and I'm like, what is that noise coming from? And it's a cloud lifter. And so, yeah, so it's not, not a, uh, it, it, again, I have a cloud lifter. It sits in my bag. And if I, if I get a mic and, and we don't have any other choice, we put the cloud lifter in for one day until I figure out how to not have it be that way. But you should not have it as a permanent part of your, of your pipeline.
0: we should spread the appropriation. It's not a cloud lifter. And what's the other one that people use? Um, dynamite? No, not the Technic one. Uh, it has no, there's a, a dynamite m- stick. Dynamite stick. I've never yeah. used that. Neither that's way. interesting. Yeah. There's two or three of these things. They're inline barrel connectors that do uh, gain
2: up nothing, at usually a fixed rate. And they all replaces, are a little loud. Well, nothing yeah. replaces a high-quality preamp. <laughs> like, you know, like high-quality preamp.
0: Yeah, Fedhead. Preamp. That's, uh, Mickey just Tell helped me. The Fed The Fedhead. Yeah. yeah. The Fedhead's real popular, too. Same thing. Uh, great. If you need it,
2: if, you, if you, else, you need to get on the air, we're glad but- they exist. They're really, really good to fix to, to, as a, as a the same thing with, I mean, it's not the same because it's not as noisy, but like decimators is a good example of when I see a bunch of decimators sitting in someone's permanent pipeline, I'm like, that's not the way to use that, that device because it, it has a fair amount of latency. It loses a couple frames going through it. And so I'm kind of like, you know, the decimator is one of the most valuable tools that we have in our pipeline um, of being able to fix things while we're working. But I don't, depend on it you know the um i i'm almost always uh you know something that I, I don't keep it in a permanent pipeline the only place i keep it in a permanent pipeline is to flip text for tech teleprompters like that's what the way we do it for a cheaper monitor so there you go mitchell did you get in or did you still have a
1: comment no i have one more i'm just wondering um how much better would the sm7db which was just announced and has a built-in preamp uh, making a dynamic mic with a built-in preamp, would that work far better than a cloud lifter or uh, any of those other devices that add on? We, we need to test it and find out. Like, I, I, you know, I, I have reservations
2: about them putting cheap electronics in, you know, not very expensive electronics in to increase the quality, increase the volume. So I have, you know, I, I would love to get one and kind of put it through its paces of this is what this would look like, but we don't we don't know yet
0: be interesting to see sure as a, a long time audio company should know what they're doing but again they may be trying
2: to hit the price target but when as you opposed look at to the, trying to hit when you look at the price quality. change <laughs> like you, there's a there's a physics problem with what you put in there Of yeah. I just don't know if they put enough into it to make it, it it would probably work for the average person because that that is a number one complaint about the SM7B is that the, that it's not loud enough um, or it doesn't doesn't have enough uh, yeah oomph to it
1: but but I, I I am concerned that it will add more noise Uh, let's go to the next question. Douglas Carmichael, how will broadcasters and other media companies compensate talent for cloning their voices using software like Respeecher? Even if the talent may not be working for that said organization, will they have the right to veto use of their voice? Well, I think you have an extra word in there. You said, how will,
0: will broadcasters (laughs) compensate talent for cloning? Uh, Alex, start us off.
2: Yeah, uh, that's what the big that's part of what the big fight is right now over with SAG and AFTRA is is figuring out who gets to do what with what you know it's not just their voice, it's their whole you know their whole likeness you know and the the problem that they're the, the real fight is less about the main actors because you still have to negotiate with them and they'll put it in their contract and everything else it's more about the bit actors the extras and everything else I mean Hollywood's looking at a future very not in the not too distant future where they get to not have to have any extras. <laughs> like, you know, like, and, and, and that, you know, it's, it's, you know, within 10 years, they're going to try to eliminate extras uh, almost completely from, you know, most of it. We may have a couple that are nearby, but the quality of the rendering and so on and so forth is getting so good that once you get more than 15 feet from the camera, you could probably replace everybody. And so what they're doing is they're scanning people as they come in for their shows and only paying them for the hours that it takes and then they just have that data. And so that's the, um, you know, that's what's there. I don't know if they actually need that. Um, when you look at things like MetaHuman, I'm not sure. They scanned lots and lots of people, and they paid them specifically to be scanned. Um, and I'm not sure that Hollywood really needs um, to acquire more actors to, to do this, but that is the concern.
0: Courtney?
3: Yeah, as, uh, as Alex just alluded to, the sag after contract is just the minimums uh, that you have to adhere, producers have to adhere to. Any actor can negotiate their own terms uh, above the, above and beyond the terms that are the minimums in that contract. So you can put in your own contract that, you know, you reserve the right to your image and likeness uh, in perpetuity, and if they use it in any other form, they must compensate you at such and such a rate. You can build that into your contract, uh, and it—you don't necessarily have to adhere unless they say no. We'll either go with the basic contract or bye-bye. We'll cast somebody else. You always have that option. So. Uh, uh, it is going to be a little bit tricky. They already have stuff in contracts, if you read the fine print, that they have your, their right to use your image and voice in perpetuity on all planets here and ever after uh, across the universe. It, it's actually written that broadly uh, for that particular product, you know, for that movie. You know, they have their right to distribute it and make money off of it for now into eternity. You know, So they can put it into the
0: contracts and they have jeffrey
4: So, and and this is not new i mean we had what uh, episode 4 i remember the the story about how they did the uh, at the end scene there was like 90% cardboard cutouts uh of the whole crowd and then of course you have the whole crisp and gl- Crispin Glover, yeah, Crispin Glover incident from Back to the Future, where they replaced the actor in Back to the Future too, but they used his likeness for that, and uh, and and so this is just the next uh, evolution on that, which is making the contracts bigger, but definitely protecting them. Um, but I'd also I could also see a situation where it's like I'm an extra in a TV show or movie, and I'm getting scanned, and then they're saying you are going to be seen. 10, 20 times, even though you're not acting in that. And if you're okay with that, that's how that's going to happen. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And then got to wonder what the next level is after that. That's going to be put in a contract to protect uh, actors' rights. Mitchell. Well, there's nothing
1: better than the bespoke person that spoke the words in the first place rather than a a digital uh, approximation and I think that the uh, most actors, if you're worth your salt, uh, are out there trying to get a digital representation of their uh, personage and also their voice, because when they're gone, there's no way to uh, to use them. So, wouldn't it be great to bring John Wayne back, or Humphrey Bogart, or any a number of other actors that may come and go? That would be cool.
0: It's an interesting topic. Uh, Alex, finish up, and I have one little thought.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that a lot of actors the Bigger actors are taking advantage of this. They're getting themselves scanned and photographed regularly um, over time, so so they've. Um, you know, so, and they do that so that they can license those back to the, to the movie companies later. So if you want a younger version of, um, this person, you actually have the digital data that you need to make that. And, and they've been doing that for the last 20 years. So, so that's been, no, I don't know what those early scans were really worth, um, and how much data they really gave, but as far as figuring out bone structure and everything else, it does make a difference. And so some of the, the larger actors have been getting ready for this for a long time. And it, of course they have the leverage to say, this is the way it's going to be, but the problem really. Is, is it's it, what they're fighting about right now is not the big actors who can make those contracts or, or say what it's all the smaller actors that are um, that are the the extras the person who says one word the things that happen there that's what um, that's what they're afraid that is all going to go away um, the main actors are still going to be there for quite some time and again uh even in like Star Wars, they did compensate the families of the deceased actors that were used in um rogue one um those were all those were you know they they did find that way and again, for a major role, they're probably going to do that just because it's bad it's it's just bad press to not do that but but it's the smaller actors, all the people walking around around that that they're that they're really concerned about because that the, the fundamental problem is the ecosystem. When you cut that ecosystem out, and you only have big actors that are that are in there. How do you get to be a big actor? You're a bit part, you know, like and and you're and you're extra, and you're all these other things that get you into that pipeline, and that's going to get harder and harder as they as they start to replace them with digital characters.
0: It was interesting to me. I was just reading yesterday an article about the uh, the last surviving well, not the last surviving, but Christine McVie and Fleetwood Mac just passed away, obviously, and her rights to the band's songs went up on the auction block. I didn't realize this before, but she was the last person who hadn't already sold all of her publishing rights and all of everything else into a big conglomerate. Everybody else in the band had already done that and her now, I think, uh, sister, or no, brother, um, has those rights and just got a multi-hundred million dollar uh pay a day for having those rights and selling it into a conglomerate who will manage those rights going forward, you forget that behind bands and things like that, there are these very tight contracts about who owns what piece of what and the corporation that they become rather than a band. And we're seeing that right now with the YouTube thing. Uh, Larry Mullen Jr. is ill, I believe, or is going through something, and they had to hire in a separate drummer. Well, I think he's still making a tremendous amount of money off of this huge content Um, opportunity, even though he's not actually playing in there, but that's because he has rights ownership to all of that music. And it's a very complicated world of talent, residuals, rights, where your names are in the contract and where they're not. There's much more business behind the music business than I think we tend to think. We tend to look at just the personalities and the tabloid stuff, but there's a lot of a lot of very small type behind these things sometimes. Let's go on to the next
1: question. David Brady from New York, New York has a question: favorite font foundries, looking for a reputable place to buy fonts, specifically Japanese double-byte fonts like Yosemoshi?
2: Alex, do you know any Japanese font foundry people? No, I actually don't. I was looking through that. I mean, there's a lot of them, and even David is showing one that is um, that that has that font, um, that's there, which is looking really, really, cool. It's a really cool looking font. Um, the, uh, um, I usually, when I'm doing stuff for projects, I tend to go to monotype because I understand the contracts of what I can and can't do. It's just a, it's a really giant, massive one, of course, Adobe font. And then there's lots of little fonts. I'm sure Mitchell's going to bring up a smaller font foundry and smaller foundries. Uh, I, I have, I love smaller foundries. I love looking at the creativity of those things and I have lots of them in my collection. Um, and so I have, you know, thousands of fonts <laughs> that are there. I don't know if I have an, 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 emo, uh, an Emoji font um, or the US Emoji fonts um, there, which is, I feel like now I, I feel like there's something missing. Just be careful with those fonts. Not David will understand this, but be careful of what they mean. I had a friend who once bought a shirt in, in Japantown that was a bunch of cool characters on it, and what it actually, what the shirt actually said is, I am a stupid American. <laughs> so, so make sure you know what the, what the fonts actually mean. <laughs> so, so anyway, there you go.
1: <laughs> all right. Mitchell? Uh, first of all, he who dies with the most fonts wins. Um, as yeah. far as foundries, yes. As far as uh, foundries go, I like Adobe. I mean, they're convenient. They have quite a few kanji scripts, so... Uh, You should be okay there if you want to start there and then, uh, you know, go to somebody specialized. All right.
0: Lots of fonts. Uh, Let's go to the next question.
1: Henry Ramos in Yonkers, New York. Can someone explain more about JPEG-XS? Saw a vendor yesterday showing an ultra-low-latency IP transmission system using it.
0: Alex, what say you?
2: Yeah, so the, the, um, we probably need a second hour on excess, and I'm not going to claim that I'm an expert in excess. But what I will tell you is that the compression, the, what what excess brings is a um, we lose a lot. When I say a lot, we lose latency. So it takes about uh, anywhere from thirty to sixty milliseconds to compress uh, JPEG 2000 and all the hardware that we have right now. So if you're using a Nimbra or, or some of the other things, so if you want to convert baseband video into um, jpeg 2000 you're losing one to two frames on the way through which may not seem like a lot to you but if you're trying to do ultra low latency that you know that starts to add up and and you need the same thing to decode it so uh, what jpeg Access is promising is latency under 10 milliseconds to do the same thing so so what we think we can do for ultra low latency on a round trip is pull 120 milliseconds out of our our round trip which is a lot You know, so, because now we're really talking about only dealing with the fiber, you know, connection between the two locations. And across the United States, that's probably about 40 to 50 milliseconds. Um, From San Francisco to L.A., it's, you know, like 17, as we measured it. Um, And then, you know, even from somewhere like China, it might be 300. But you don't, you know, so 350 milliseconds from China is a... a, it's a lot of latency, but you don't want to add another 120 milliseconds to that <laughs> or, or, or another 60. So that's what JPEG XS offers us is super, I mean, these crazy low latencies where we're now down to, depending on the distance, potentially subframe latency from Northern California to Southern California. And so that's what we're, um, you know, that's, that's what it promises. Uh, and that's the extent of my knowledge of JPEG XS. We'll try to bring an expert on and see if we can find a time to talk about it more.
0: Yeah, it looks like it'll be fun. Let's get to the next question.
1: Jack Rupel in Breckenridge, Colorado, asking, Monday, Apple announcements of, for a new iPad, possibly with better camera. Perfect for Blackmagic design phone app. Uh, Jeffrey Powers, start
4: us off. So it's there's been a lot of rumors back and forth. But the reality is that uh, what Apple did back in September is they didn't order as many M3 chips. Uh, because they did see a sharp decline in MacBook and iPad sales if there is a new iPad that comes out this was usually the time where the lower end iPads would come out I'm not saying that it's not impossible but the probability is fairly low we would normally see an iPad pro around March but this this would be like the back to not back to school but uh, but the holiday sales of of iPads and of course the lower the price the better in a lot of situations what they're Going to be talking about most likely is the iMac and maybe a new MacBook Pro, but uh, mostly the iMac. Scary Fest. The logo is this the Apple logo turning into the Finder. So I don't think it's software related because they would have done that at uh, WWDC. So it makes me wonder with the whole, with everything with the Qualcomm chip going on, that uh, they were supposed to put in their own Apple. wireless system into the iPhones, but they didn't have enough at the time. Maybe they're going to start with the iMac and putting in something like 2.5 gigabit per second uh, Ethernet, Uh, but we'll have to see what happens on this uh, very odd-timed virtual event. Halloween time. Alex, what do you think?
2: Um, Yeah, I, I agree with Jeffrey that the chances of iPads being released on Monday are very low. I mean, they, they might, but it would be very low. <laughs> so so uh, I think that uh, it's uh, not low, but not zero. But I would say probably 99% chance that there's not going to be any iPads. That, that They are a spring release. Um, I don't know if they've ever released them in the fall. Maybe they have once, but it's been very rare. I think that's just going to be hardware. It's going to be a Mac hardware, I think.
0: You know, what's interesting to me is that they've been uh, debuting the new chips in the lower-end laptops, the MacBook Airs and stuff like that. That got the M2s and things like that before the MacBook Pros or anything else upscale. So yeah. they have this
2: weird thing about putting the brand new chips in some of the lower, I mean, more affordable. The, the only argument to put, to put the iPad Pros into the into the release on Monday would be to clump them in with the laptops, you know, to say, hey, these are the next generation of laptops. And, and so that would be the, the one argument for it is to put the, I don't think they put all the iPads in, but the iPad Pro uh, releasing um, might be the case. There you go. Uh, the next question.
1: Brody Brazil from Danville, California. My ATEMS Mini are dead silent. Just installed the Extreme model, which seems to have a constant low fan buzz noise. Is this consistent with everyone else's experience?
0: Hmm, there are fans
2: involved, aren't there, Alex? No,
1: nope, it's not. It's not consistent. It, it shouldn't be that way. Like, it, you, you should, you should call,
2: you should RMA it. Like, it's there's there's a fan problem. Like, it's not. Yeah, I don't have any. Uh, I've had this one running forever, and I I have never had that problem. Um, so, uh, I I would not. Um, I do not think that it it's something that's in, that it shouldn't be any different than the mini, Courtney. Yeah, maybe you've got something that's touching that
3: fan blade that's buzzing in there. And also make sure you turn down the brightness on your buttons because that will kick the fan up to a higher speed uh, when it gets hot. So turn the brightness down to zero or slightly above, maybe one, uh, and it'll cut down on the heat inside.
0: Dave, um, next question.
1: Dave Kaufman from Vancouver, British Columbia, asking, on an A10 multi-camera using HDMI, how does the switcher sync the clocks on the cameras? Ooh, let's talk blackburst. Mitchell? Well, um, it syncs because every input on the ATM is resunk. So if they resync everything, they're all going to be at that resunk, uh, refresh rate.
2: <laughs> I wanted to say sunk did and that's wrong. Alex, uh, I don't think that they're syncing the HDMI. So you have to you need genlock and you're going to need a SDI signal to to do that. I don't you can't sync the HDMIs. I don't you, genlock them. You can't GenLock them together. When you're talking about syncing the cameras or having them all run into the into a, let's say an ATEM Mini Extreme or an ATEM Mini what they're doing is they're, they're not syncing the cameras. They're simply getting the next whole frame from each camera. So they're waiting to deliver that, that one. And so it slows down that, that, and that's why you lose oftentimes a frame. You know, if you, if you don't have your up to a frame or up to two frames, you can lose, um, if you're not gen locking everything that you have there, but there is no gen lock for the A10 Mini. Uh, there's no gen lock for the, you know, a lot of the HDMI cameras. Um, so, but you have to gen lock them and then it, it is that cadence. Then is it's generating the frames at the same time, and everything in the system has to do that, or it has to be reclocked on the way through. And so the um, so the you're when you're connecting it to a mini. Now, if you're connecting SDI cameras to an SDI switcher and you're gen locking all of them, then they will be all right in sync. But otherwise, um, a, 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 it may be delayed by you know one or, or up to two frames uh, as it grabs the next whole frame.
3: Courtney. All the new ATEMs the, with the HDMI inputs have uh, frame synchronizers on each input. So it, it, I think it takes number one as its common sync source, and it bases its sync off the input to input number one, and it just frame synchronizes all the other inputs by buffering them a frame or two and clocks them to match what's coming in on number one on the output. It doesn't change the sync as far as... Uh, If you're talking about timecode sync, timecode in the cameras, it does not go out and resynchronize, I don't believe, the timecode generators that are in those cameras. So I don't think it does anything with timecode, if that's what you're talking about, sync. Frame synchronization is handled uh, inside the ATEM minis, at least the modern ones, the newer ones.
0: Yeah, once upon a time in facilities, we used to have to run blackburst, which was really just a signal black, but its whole sole purpose was to hit various machines and start everything on exactly the right end of the vertical interval before you got to the first line of the thing. Uh, Gone away now And these frame shakers, I used to call them, but synchronizers now, manage to connect with some part of the signals coming in, put them all together. But it's not quite the same as the old Blackbird stuff that we used to have. It's just something you got to get used to in the new video world. Let's go to the next question.
1: Yeah, and NSYNC is a different thing altogether. Uh, Liberty White in Atlanta, Georgia. Per Dave Troutman's question, I got the Pages teleprompter feature to work on my iPad. However, when I tried to pipe my iPad through my ATEM to switch and demo, Pages didn't show up, only the iPad's home screen. Why is that?
0: I don't know. When I did it a few minutes ago, it, it worked, and all I have is my iPad Pro connected through HDMI into an ATEM Mini, and it, it seemed to work just fine. So there may be some connection there. Uh, I'm trying to think if I had to do anything. I didn't have to do anything else. It was Pages, so it wasn't uh, something that I, like Keynote that I normally run into my iPad, and it just seemed to work traditionally. So um, I can give it a little closer look. Uh, Alex?
2: Yeah, I would... Uh have it. So what I would do is make sure that your pages is not opened. Um, I would plug the, the, your iPad into your switcher and then I would open pages and then change its mode. And I think you may find that it pops up into that, that environment.
0: Yeah, mine's still, I just popped it up and it's still working and it's, it's all there. So, um, I I didn't have to do anything special is I guess my point for your Liberty. Courtney, you have any thoughts? yeah was there did you discover any place to mirror
3: the image coming out of that iPad? Uh, I did so if not usually to a real teleprompter
0: no let's let me pop it back up i'll put black behind it, so you should be seeing that it's got very few controls here it's got uh up and down it's got a few background colors it's got font choosing, so you can change from serif to send serif uh it's got some line spacing and margin thing, which can be nice. Uh, it's got, uh, oh, all caps if you want to do that. What else do
2: we have? And and then you can just scroll it with your finger. Is that kind of how it's designed to work?
0: No, if you put on auto scroll, I think, and you just touch it, it starts scrolling and it slows down. If you decide that's not the speed you want, you have to go down, and it'll give you a real-time, real slow scrolling to much faster scrolling. So it's tap on the screen to start and stop. Uh, scroll speed. So it's, it's rudimentary and pretty simple. If you just Apple want to starts. throw up an iPad,
2: <laughs> like, yeah. starts. yeah, like yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, who knows what it's going to turn into, but it's built into pages. So, you yeah. know, this is literally just a pages document that I happen to have on my screen. Uh, you know, it starts out looking like that just a build wall of text. And then it does all the processing and uh, bring the sides in and do everything else to, to make it prompt friendly. So it's, it's a basic, it, but it's there. All right. Let's go to the next question,
1: Michael Tan from San Diego, California. Any panelists tried Loopdeck with Bitfocus Companion? Alex, have you tried the combo? I have to admit that I have Loopdeck um, and I
2: have a Bitfocus Companion, but I have not thought about until Michael put this up. I have not really thought about the idea of connecting the two together. I don't know why, um, but we'll, we'll we'll play with that. We'll see if we can't uh, we can't find a time. Maybe even. Uh, we'll lab it. We're going to be doing um, this gives us an opportunity to remind people that over the next couple weeks, we'll be doing mostly Q&A. And the second hour, uh, we'll have some labs, you know, that are happening during the second hour if we if we have a little bit of time. Um, and so um, so the, uh, we'll still be answering questions in the second hour, but we might take it 15, 20 minutes out um, to do a little lab. Um, I think that Chris um, Fenwick and I are going to do one next Wednesday on the, the Korg control uh, you know, uh, the core controller. Um, and, uh, so, th- you know, if you've got ideas for labs, put those in the second hour suggestions in discord and, uh, but these won't be trying, we're not trying to make these set whole second hours. We're just going to be like, and eh, we're now
1: going to stop for a little while and do this and see how it turns out.
2: There you go. Uh,
0: I think we're going to the next question
1: from Bobby Rafferty in Central Florida asking, I'm trying to use geolocation for augmented reality on an iPhone. I've seen Apple's developer docs that ARKit has limit only to a limited amount of cities in the United States. What other options are out there? Alex? Um, you know, the,
2: it, it's, what other easy options are out there <laughs> is the question. So uh, as far as, you know, GPS data, there's a lot of GPS data there and um, there's not a lot of other, you can geolocate I mean anything to some degree, um, but but the main thing is is that you know your as far as AR kit goes, um, you know Google has some of its own solutions that are that are out there as far as they've scanned an awful lot and can um, and they have a whole uh, Google Maps pro- process to make that actually work, um, but. The harder version of this is to do a lot of the scanning yourself um, so that you know exactly where it is. Because once you know roughly where you are, uh, you, can, you can actually hash the data that you've scanned. You don't need high res data, you just need uh, key components of it to figure out exactly where you are. Um, but, but that is still, you know, still a work in progress. I would probably focus on the ones that you have available to you right now. Um, but because the, the lift to do what I just said is high. You know, there's not a lot of uh, what we're talking about is right now is hard, um, but we should, we should see it. And I, I would highly recommend finding cities that are supported and play with the ideas and play with the AR kit pieces, because this is going to be a big deal, regardless of whether you think that the headsets are going to do well, um, AR solutions added to phones is going to continue to get to be a big deal as far as being able to add data um, to your um, people walking around and be able to see what they want to see there.
1: Let's go to the next question, and it's from Chester Sweeney in Las Vegas, Nevada. Is there an actual thick paper book manual for the MixPre Three, Flow Eight, Behringer, and Logic Pro? I often work online. Alex, Off, yes, on? sorry,
2: yes. Fortunately for you, there is a thick
1: uh, manual. It's about
2: this thick. Uh, it's about the thickness of your phone <laughs> uh, or your iPad. Um, so what I do is I I I take all of my um, documents. So, all of my manuals are on my iPad, and oftentimes they're on my phone as well. So, you can go, you get the PDF of their manual and you download it, and then you load it into books. And now you just have, I have this folder full of all my manuals for all of my stuff. And so if I'm not on, I do it specifically so that if I'm not online, I can pick it up. I will say that when you get used to using manuals on an iPad, you're not going to want to go back to paper. You can't search, you can't, (laughs) like, like, you just, paper is so horrible when you're used to using it. But the iPad is what really makes it work, in my opinion, to be offline on an iPad or a tablet and being able to just jump through to where you want to go and uh, find all the, all the instances of a certain word. Um, it's way, way easier than actually having paper.
1: Next question. And the next one's coming into us from Peter Moore in Auckland, New Zealand. What's the Sony camera Alex uses here with that awesome autofocus and what lens is he using? Alex? I'm using an FX30
2: with a, the, the G series uh, 1.4 35 millimeter lens. And so I'm about three feet away. Um, so um, that's about the right for that 35 millimeter. So 35 millimeter uh, G, G series 1.4 with a, and that, that's nearly as costly as the camera. So, but an FX30. So that's the, that's what I'm using right now.
1: Mitchell? You know, what's kind of cool about the Sony autofocus is that it's equally good on just about everything in their line. Um, my ZV-E10 looks about as good on the autofocus department as my FX3, which is a step above what Alex has there, which is the FX30. Well, and, and I suspect that uh, even the FX6 or the FX9 are all going to be in the similar area. The, 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 one, the
2: reason I'm not using the ZV-E10 as a daily thing, which I was for a couple months, was the color. Like, I just can't quite get the color right. So until I get... I'm going to probably put a LUT box in between the camera and the switcher, and then I can apply LUTs to it. But it's really the lack of color control on the
1: zve e 10 is the real thing that has me uh, not use it. It, The only time I've seen a problem with um, the autofocus not being quite up to speed is an off-brand lens on it. If you're not using a Sony lens, Sony's the best Mm -hmm. for the Sony camera. But if you're using a, uh, a cheap lens, it might not be quite as quick.
0: I think that's one of the benefits of the algorithmic world we live in now. I've noticed that, for example, I do my audiobook stuff in Final Cut. Why? Because the audio code is exactly the same code from Logic. They didn't write two code bases for those two programs. They wrote code base to do audio handling well and slapped it into Final Cut, slapped it into Logic. It's probably in other programs that need to handle audio. So I think the Sony cameras are benefiting from the same thing. They did all the research to make autofocus as good as it's ever been. And so they're taking that code and whatever uh, servos and the rest of it and informing each other and you just get the whole line getting better i think that's a really kind of benefit to the way they work these these years um mitch or no, who's somebody i heard jeffrey jeffrey did you have a comment you wanted to make or oh i, I just it,
4: said that you also have to cl- make sure your lens is clean for uh focus to oh, really yeah. kick in right
0: always a good idea to have a lens cloth or a lens pen or something that you're comfortable using with you all the time i can't tell you the number of times i've been shooting and, and did you touch that lens no let's look at it. oh there's a fingerprint you don't want that to happen let's go to the next question
1: chester sweeney from las vegas nevada i often miss the mac break weekly classic lineup will uh, renee andy and leo ever return to office hours global for a special event or something
2: no, oh, Alex. What say you? I think we've had them all on individually in special events. We haven't had them all together. I don't know. We we could probably do that, but I but we've had, I think we've had all three of them as guests, um, and we need to bring Jason on because we haven't had Jason on as as a, um, to our show. So stay tuned for that.
0: There you go. So something to look forward to. I mean, you know, we're revamping things all the time around here. What, I'm sure they'll want to come on when we're dobley five one or seven one and and something super. Uh, HDR or something, they'll probably want to come back and look great on there.
1: I want to see a death match between uh, Alex and Andy. Oh, well, maybe a
0: rumble, not a death match. Anyway, next question.
1: Next one in from uh, Douglas Carmichael. Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was shot on the classic Aeroflex 2C camera. How would that camera department know what they've shot if there wasn't a video assist tap on the camera?
0: If you've ever used a video assist, you, even if you're using video assist, you still have no idea about anything except gross framing. Uh, I worked with them in my early part of
2: my career. Alex, what say you? Um, I I think that a lot of them do have video assist. <laughs> you know, like they, they usually. I don't know if anybody shoots uh, anything without a video assist of some kind. Uh, it may not be through the through the lens, but it, there's definitely something there so they can see what they're framing. Courtney.
3: Yeah, the AirFlex 2C, I doubt they shot the whole movie on the AirFlex 2C. It's a 35mm camera. It's unblimped. Uh, here's what it looks like. There is a video door that you can get for it that has a video assist on the side of it. it replaces the viewfinder door here with a, uh, a pellicle and a video assist camera that goes on there. Uh, It's unblimped, so it sounds like a mix master when it's rolling, so it makes uh, recording dialogue quite difficult unless they're using some type of noise removal. And there's no reason to... There are a lot better 35 millimeter blimped cameras than the AirFlex 2C. They're usually used for uh, third cameras or stunts, filming stunts, where you need a bunch of cameras that are cheaper to use than the panavized AirFlexes. Uh, So I doubt that they shot the movie on an AirFlex 2C.
0: Maybe First I'll three commercials, film, but not using a two C. First three commercials I worked on and directed in thirty-five millimeter film. We used video assist, and it was horrible in general. It was a small camera, as Courtney was saying, connected to I think it was a Mitchell BNC that we shot it on, um, and you got a black and white small ugly monitor that had a little uh, frame around it that says this is what the gate is actually shooting. It was kind of plus or minus fifteen percent, so you really couldn't superbly um, frame a shot even let alone see anything other than just a flickering because there's some sort of mirror system that was in motion in there so you were only getting half the the actual frames that you could see it was not the best environment and there's so much better now that I'm sure no one that, that seems like it's an earlier era and if I had my choice I'd never work with anything like that again um, Alex you had a follow up
2: yeah the the uh what I will say is one thing I've learned about in Hollywood is directors and cinematographers get into these goofy ideas that they want to do something cool or something different and it gives... The, they're just it, it, I, I used to think that it was a, for a good reason and for some of them they're highly technical and they are for good reasons. I mean, if you want to use an IMAX camera, there's a reason to use it um, if you want to use things. But a lot of times they just get into these kind of goofy little paths and you think that there was something but as you talk to them you realize they just thought it'd be interesting. Like, you know, like it, would just, like it, it has nothing to do with <laughs> like, you're, like, you're just like, you're just like, like I, I got budget, let's do it. You know, and, and you're just like okay all right
1: so anyway then it's always hell for us uh anyway uh next question jack rupel from breckenridge colorado asking lenticular photos thoughts about the from the panel there's a link to it and then another link for scientific visualization I'm really happy Alex is here today. Alex, you do this kind of stuff. What, what I about?
2: have not done these, but I, I, I have, have to admit I subscribed. I'm now subscriber number one hundred twenty whatever <laughs> like, um, for Jared Hoffman's Lenticular Printing Masterclass. Um, I don't know. I guess this is uh, it's only gotten forty five hundred views in a year, but it's really worth looking at. Um, this is uh, he, he's talking about how to build that and how it works, and so I would definitely check that out. The link is in the in, in here, but I would go. I'm going to go subscribe to it. Uh, lenticular is when they print rigid on the on the surface and so they have different things there so as you move it it feels like it's 3d and i've always been kind of fascinated by it and, and even i have a camera i have this this um this uh red red android camera has actually that kind of surface on it so that you can see 3d there um it's really slick surprised that it's um that that, that you could print it and i'm uh, i'm fascinated by the by the technology
4: jeffrey have a thought well, it's also it's not just uh, movement, but it's also the ability to uh, have two different images. Like one of the videos in one of those videos, they had uh, Spider-Man, and then if you turned it, the Spider-Man's logo was uh, showed from there. I remember these photos from back when I was a kid, and they were like super cool to always get. Uh, so to have it on the phone is is pretty sweet. Uh, but yeah, it's just basically having one one print on one side, one print on the other side, and when you start to turn it, that's when you see the effect. And of course, if they're very close, then it looks like like the uh, thing is moving. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens and, and if this becomes something that uh, we can do on everyday uh, production. I think I got one of those in a Cracker Jacks box
0: when I was a kid as a prize. Absolutely. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Courtney. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Like Bill says, they've been around for, all uh, you know, 75 years or so uh, or more. Uh, lenticular you used to be able to get them on cereal uh, boxes. Used to have 3D images printed on the on the face of them occasionally, uh, and there was a whole period of t- phones with uh, lenticular screens on them with stereo cameras on the back that came out around 2007 through 2009 to through 2010. They were popular for a couple of years there when 3D was really big for a while. So they were about oh. 20 to 30 different phones that had uh, these 3D cameras and a lenticular display on the back so that you could kind of see the 3D effect by using the, uh, that prismatic back to uh, separate the images for the left eye and the right eye when looking at it from the phone. But that was the only way you could see it unless you pro- projected it with, you know, a 3D projector that used uh, polarizing filters for your lenses or other means.
0: We've got one more, so let's knock it out so that we don't leave any questions behind.
1: Final question from Douglas Carmichael. The MSG Sphere advertises their AI-powered lobby robots. How would an off-the-shelf LLM, I've read they use GPT-3, be customized for this application, especially since so many languages are needed? And how would you protect against hallucinations? Alex,
2: As best they can. I mean, you know, I think that uh, with a lot of these things, like people are just excited that it's working um, and it probably is not mission critical kind of content uh, for it. Um, they're, they're the, the only way to get some of this stuff to work is to do it. And so I think that they're going to do it. They're going to allow it to make some mistakes and they're going to keep on error correcting for it. I think that's the that, I think that's probably their big plan.
0: You get somebody to shovel 2.5 billion. Is that what that place?
2: Yeah. yeah and so there's a lot of, hey, I know what else we could do.
0: Yeah, I mean,
2: again, sometimes you just have to be willing to to take the hit, you know.
0: Absolutely. Well, that takes us to the end of the show. Thank you all for being here. It was an incredibly fun day. At least I enjoyed it immensely. I hope you all did too, both here on the panel. Thank you guys very much for being here today. Uh, And for everybody, I hope, in the audience, the Isadora Lab is coming up right after this. So that's going to be... 10 a.m. Pacific, right uh in after hours, I think. So the L will be here with the Isadora lab. Today's gonna have another lab. So if you're interested in brainstorming the NDI in a box solution with Mimo Live, John Idelson and Oliver Breidenbach will both be here at eleven o'clock after that, uh, after L's um, gig. And uh, they're going to be designing and brainstorming NDI in a box for Mimo Live. So that all should be fun. Our huge thanks to everybody who's involved with this, everybody who showed up here on the panel to do the panel work. We appreciate. uh, It's just amazing. People show up every day and just give of their time. So uh, I appreciate all my fellow panelists here. And thank you for being here and providing your expertise for the crew and um, everybody on the back end who keeps this show running every time, every day. uh, Without your questions, we couldn't do this. So we really appreciate it. You had a great group of questions today, enjoyed it thoroughly. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow to do the same thing. And let us never forget, all of you who are watching the show, you are the reason we are here. Thank you for participating top to bottom in the whole thing. It has been fabulous. Um, the Talak traversal today for bananas, uh, we had lots of them. And as a matter of fact, we traveled 105,000 miles. That's 170,000 kilometers. That is more than 836 million of these for scale. We'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks for watching.